This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Okay, well, uh, good evening, everybody. It's 6.30, so uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, this is the third week of the Understanding Anglicanism class. Again, this class is primarily oriented towards confirmation. Um, so if there are any of you who want to be confirmed and you haven't let me know yet, now would be a good time. Um, but um, it also has a broader purpose of kind of, you know, inviting the congregation to be educated about Anglican tradition, Anglican theology, Anglican liturgy, uh, the common life of ascension, how we do things here, what our worship means, and, um, and what it means to be part of this body, to use your gifts here, um, and to, to have them meaningfully expressed. So uh, tonight is actually going to be in large part about that, um, more of a kind of intensive introduction into the, the life of ascension, what, uh, what ascension is all about, what our ministries are, and where you fit uh, in the overall um, scheme of things here at, at Ascension. So um, I want to start tonight, uh, there's going to be uh, kind of a, a lot of different moving parts to this evening, but what I'd like to begin with is uh, introducing the, the staff to you, as many of them as have shown up tonight. Uh, anybody who showed up tonight, uh, you can see they're kind of, kind of scattered around the room. I'll give them an opportunity to introduce themselves, then we'll, uh, we'll leave from here and take a tour of the nave, then we'll come back and uh, we'll do a, you know, a little bit, kind of an overview of the vision and mission of Ascension. Then we'll work through a spiritual gifts inventory together. Then we'll talk about the ministries of Ascension. Uh, and then we'll talk about the ministry of your own vocation. And then there'll be some time for Q&A at the end. And we might finish a little early tonight, which is totally fine. So we'll begin with those staff intros. And uh, Jean has the first, uh, she's like, she's, has, she's elected to go first because she has something else going on tonight. Um, but... What, what, uh, for each of the staff people here, what I'd like you to do is, you know, say your name, how long you've been at Ascension, what your ministry areas are, uh, anything that you want to say about those ministries, and then what your favorite thing about working at Ascension is. Okay? So, Jean, you're first. <laughs> What was the next thing? Uh, what ministry areas you oversee oh, yeah. and anything you want to say about those and so, then your favorite thing about working at Ascension. Well, if, if we're doing something in music and it's corporate, I'm probably overseeing that. Although my principal um, music duties are um, at the 11 o'clock service. I play the organ and I conduct the choir. I oversee the, the children's choir, which is actually directed by a wonderful Mel Tickner. Um, and plan that music, and I engage with Chris Massa about the other musical things that are going on in the life of the congregation. That's very helpful. Thank you, Jean. Yeah, my favorite? Are. My favorite. Favorite thing about working in the I know. That's just a hard thing, because I think that my favorite thing is the congregation and worship. I think that that is my absolute favorite thing. But the other thing that I really love is working with uh, the musicians, um, being in rehearsal with them, um, engaging with who they are as people, engaging with um, how we can grow more like Jesus so that we can 
encourage other people to come closer to him. So those two things are so close that it's hard to it's hard to pick. Anyone have any questions for Jean? Okay. Thank you. All right, Marilyn, you're up. I gotta go. So um, I am a jack of all trades. So my name is Marilyn Chislogi. I am the director of jack of all tra- director of ministry, and I I just do a variety of things to sort of connect the dots, sort of across ministries, make sure there's no holes, or if there's something that needs to be developed um, within our common life, that's what I try to help to do. So some of the things that I do are um, communication. So I recently started doing these posters with a friend of Jonathan Warren's. So what's wrong with this poster here? Yes? Women aren't coming to a pancake anything. Yeah, but if you put a strawberry on top. Put a strawberry on top. (laughs) Really ties the image together. It's okay now. Communication, so like website, announcements, ascent, all that kind of business. Um, welcome ministries are super important to me. Um, and so I oversee the time somebody new comes into the church to kind of when they're out the door. So greeters, the usher teams, the welcome table. And we've just started a new ministry called Hospitality Hour Host. Just this last Sunday, there was somebody, I think it was you guys. I mean, there you were. I mean, um, you just look new to me. And I think we just need, we want to be a welcoming um, community. And so people in the parish hall, it's a big daunting space for people who are new. And you can just feel like, you can just feel invisible, invisible like a loser. You know, like you go, I don't know, I mean, it, it, you just feel kind of lost, you know, in a big group. And you want to feel welcome. So it's that's a huge deal for me and it's actually one of the things I like the most. I also um, help facilitate events and courses, so FBU, How We Love, the parish retreat is my thing and it's actually one of the things I, even though it's a lot of work, I, I almost like it the most. Um, it's a real highlight for me in our, in our life together. Um, I'm part of the congregational care team. If there's anything to do with food or hospitality, that's kind of my thing too. And then. Um, there's different ministries, special needs ministry, international ministry, the owls ministry. Those are kind of under my umbrella um, too. So the thing I like the most is that I love coming to work um, each day, and I love it because I can also bring my Panera coffee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Marilyn. Anybody have any questions for Marilyn? How long have you been here? Oh, I've been here. We immigrated here from Canada in 1997, so – and. We saw the little Alpha Man, which is um, an introduction to Christianity course. I knew the Alpha Man, and I thought if the Alpha Man's on the course, this church is probably okay for me. And so we came here, and we never left. Okay, thank you, Marilyn. Who's next? Karen. Uh, hi, I am Karen Gowdy. Come um, up and speak close enough for the microphone to catch you. Okay, I'm Karen Gowdy. I am the director of administration here. I have been on staff for two years, but I've been attending this church for 30. Um, Yeah, 30 years. And um, let's see, I do a lot of things around here. (laughs) If you all need an appointment with uh, Jonathan Millard, uh, you would call me to set that up. Uh, I handle room reservations here. Uh, 
various things to staff. Um, if you want to be confirmed, I'm going to be gathering your information and sending it to the diocese. And hounding um, me when I don't hound you. Yes. Um, I oversee accounting here. Um, I oversee the support staff. So any facility issues come through me. Um, so I'll be working on masonry projects this summer and everything. So that's all. I think that's everything I do. I probably forgot something. So. Yeah, um, I wouldn't underestimate the <laughs> 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 You have a 100 and something year old building, you know, 100, yeah. what, 130 year old now? Um, when was it, 1887? I think, 1892, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, we'll anyway, see. yes, but uh, close to 130 year old building, there's a lot of stuff that breaks all yeah. the time. Uh, well, my, my undergrad was mechanical engineering, yes. So, yeah. Okay. Any questions for Karen? Now I don't know if you did. It's hard to pick. So. I do actually like working with the building. I do actually find it really fascinating to deal with all these projects and everything. Hmm. So. It's an interesting to find out what's been covered up over the years. Yes, actually. <laughs> How many rooms do we have? Fifteen. We have fifteen rooms. Oh my gosh. Okay, who's next? Matt, you want to go next? Sure. Yeah, come up here. Speak into the microphone. Or over it. Or just around it, ambiently. Well, hi everyone. I'm Matt Ulrich. I'm the director of children's ministries here at Ascension. And so, yeah, all kids zero through fifth grade are in my realm uh, and a whole host of volunteers um, that work with them. So it'd be impossible. There are so many kids, it'd be impossible for me to you know, teach every class all at once, and we have a, I just, I really love the, the team that we've got, um, and there's some people who, uh, every time I talk to a teacher, like, hey, how's it going, and it, there's, it seems like, you know, there's, there's always some, there's always some uh, joys and challenges along the way, but there always comes back, like, hey, I just really uh, have learned and grown so much closer to God through this experience, it's been it's really cool to see how that's happening, um, and I'm supposed to hear what I'm excited about. Or, or what, what's, what's your favorite part, favorite part of it? So aside from that, I would also say I'm fairly new to Anglicanism myself, and so I've been jumping in with both feet, and one of the things I'm really excited about is all the resources that are available in the Anglican tradition. And so I get really, I've been really finding a lot of joy in connecting the dots between uh, what's happening in a preschool classroom with what's happening on Sunday morning with what's happening in community groups. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Thanks, Matt. Any questions for Matt? How long have you been here? A year and a half. So I came in September 2016. Okay. Danielle, I think you're the last one, yeah? No, me. Nope, Stacey's here. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Danielle. I am the intern for Emerging Adults, um, which is college students and recently college students. I don't even know really. <laughs> Up until like 30-ish maybe. Um, and I've been coming to Ascension for a year and a half, but I've been working here for 11 months. And what is my favorite part? Favorite part about working at Ascension? Um, I think my favorite part is planning and doing the dinner and compliments that we have each month, or just getting to hang out with all the staff because um, just like not having Christian family, they've kind of become my family, so it's cool to get to hang out with them all the time. Hey, what's dinner and compliment? <laughs> Dinner in Copland is a monthly event that is basically what exactly what it sounds so is like um, dinner and then 
sometimes a short teaching, and then a compliment at the end. Who's it for? For young adults. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Yeah. Stacy, you want to come up? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm Stacy Regan, and I have been coming here for 25 years. I've raised four kids here, and I've been on staff 11 months this summer. Um, I am responsible for... Wait, 11 months? Wait 11 years, okay. sorry. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were on staff. 11 years, staff. years. Gosh. I didn't catch that. If it's in print, I catch it, but it's coming out of my I do a lot of editing. <laughs> um, if I do uh, bulletins and database stuff. Uh, so if you filled anything out, it's come through me at some point. And I have this thing for memorizing. I just do, I memorize emails email addresses, so I try not to scare people with that, like I did March tonight. Um, I also uh, am the point person for weddings and baptisms, and um, I also track all of the um, ministry scheduling for Sunday mornings that doesn't involve children. So like all the greeters or the readers, I don't create those lists. I, I collect them and put them together and go, this won't work because this person can't be on prayer ministry and bear chalice at the same time. So I do that. That's quarterly. That takes place. Um, is there anything else on there? I know. It's a dizzying array of details. I'm, it's like the, the joke is if I don't do it, I know who does. <laughs> and my office is right by the workroom. Um, so I'm very conveniently located. And so, oh, another thing that I'll do, like, is if you're with any kind of ministry and you need to make copies or use the equipment for anything, I'm the go-to. Not just because I'm right there, but because that's actually part of my job description. It's like I was printing all this stuff today, and it was a, there was a carriage jam. So I was, like, simply on my knees, like, trying to dig this thing out. And I all, hear. Oh, come Stacy. <laughs> How can I be of service? So as part of the congregation, um, I, I regularly attend the 11, but I'm in a community group with a bunch of um, young people who are St. Barnabas people who attend nine, so I'm kind of splitting both. But I'm one of the songwriters in the congregation, too. There's about a dozen of us. But, um, yeah, so you'll, you'll see my name go by and know that God can use even me. Um, there's uh, a favorite thing. I um, have, Are y'all familiar with the disc? Personality, okay, like it's a, you take this personality thing for work, right? We did this several years ago, and I'm the only C on staff. And um, I'm a systems person. So I like to make sure all the checklists make sense. I could die tomorrow, and somebody could pick up my paperwork and keep running. And, um, and if I know what the other staff people are doing, I want to be able, when they walk into my office and say, do we have any of this? I can say, yes. Or because I already thought about it, because I, I've, I know how they function. Or they say, I'm going to need a report, and I'm sorry it's so late that I'm, you know, it's, well, I've already created the pathway because they were talking about it at a staff meeting. And so I just kind of, who do you need this for? You know, which group of people? So um, I really enjoy finding out how the wheel is supposed to run and then greasing it up really good. That kind of describes what I do. That's great. And um, I like that. I like being able to say yes because I've already thought about it and just helping everybody else do their work. And I like being this close uh, where the rubber hits the road. I like being able to see, you know, bulletins come out. You have no idea some of the backflips we do, and that's just fine <laughs> because everybody can just worship and there's no hiccup for you in the service or whatever else we might be doing. Any questions? Any questions for Stacey? Okay. 
That's the last of the staff stuff myself, right? Anybody else here? Just kidding. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are you for? <laughs> so I'm Jonathan Warren, in case you haven't picked up on that yet. And I am uh, the co-associate rector here along with my wife, Tish. Uh, she is not here tonight because she's actually uh, doing a writing project tonight. Um, so what I do is I have a great many liturgical and teaching responsibilities for the church. Uh, I, I preach about once a month um, from the, on, on Sunday morning. I also uh, preach about once a month at the Wednesday Eucharist. Uh, I oversee community groups. Um, I share uh, pastoral care responsibilities with the clergy team and the congregational care team. Um, I, um, I have a kind of special emphasis on um, mentoring and, and uh, raising up leaders among young adults along with Tish. Um, I have I basically just whatever needs to happen that clergy needs to be present for, I am basically involved in that. So... Um, and my favorite, I've been here um, a little over a year now, so a year and what, uh, three months or something like that? And uh, my favorite thing about working at Ascension is, um, I mean, I feel the love from you guys. Like, I really do. And so I'm really grateful that, to, that I, I get to serve in a really healthy parish where there is a lot of vitality and a lot of um, charity shared between uh, the members of the church and um, it's just a beautiful thing, and it's a very warm place, so it's been a wonderful place for us to land, uh, especially since we're quite far from family. It's, it's been great to have you as our kind of surrogate family, in a sense, or ecclesial family. So, uh, any questions for me? What's that? That's what I just said. I love the congregation. I just kind of love you all. I feel the love from you guys. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, if there's no other questions, then uh, let's take a little detour into the nave, and you will do some exploring. Now, what you need to know is, uh, in 1989, um, some really faithful member of the church, do you know what her name was? The Who created this book about the history of Ascension. Marilyn Whitmore. Marilyn Whitmore, yeah. So uh, one of, this faithful member of the congregation basically did this huge amount of archival research and uh, unearthed all this really cool stuff about the building. So... Um, We'll kind of resource some of that as we uh, walk through the nave. So, come with me. There we go. Let there be lights. Okay, we'll start in the back of the nave over here. So, um, some kind of introductory things to note. Um, Ascension was... Planned and designed. This is actually the second uh, building that Ascension had. This first building was much plainer, and I think it was actually wood frame. Uh, so this building was uh, designed and built in the late 19th century. I think the foundation stone was laid in, I forget if it was 1887 or 1892. It's one of those two. Huh? 1887? Okay. Yeah. I think, so. I, I think you're probably right. Um, so uh, the, the style of the building, I mean, obviously the thing that you notice when you come up to it, is its imposing kind of stone facade. Its architectural style is actually called Early English, which is a modification of True Gothic, which is the kind of midi classic medieval style of building that you see. And it's really interesting, uh, in the 19th century, there was a huge Gothic revival in America. So there's tons of churches from about this same time period that are built along these same lines. But so this, the modification that the Early English style had was this imposing stone fortress-like tower right out front. So you see that. It's very striking when you go out there. It has uh, a large square tower at each corner of the, of the tower. 
uh, with a kind of octagonal turret, and it's, they're all like 136 feet high, so it's a very imposing kind of structure. Uh, and it has this really interesting, striking resemblance to a parish church in St. Giles in Wrexham, Wales. So if you ever happen to go to Wrexham, Wales, you know, <laughs> look out. Tell me if it's actually there still. Yeah. Okay. So um, the internal design um, is designed to look like the underside of a boat. So why do you think that might be? Sure. <laughs> I remember my yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> no, no more, no more universal floods. <laughs> Anyone else? I'm kind of standing behind this pillar here. Maybe we should all move in this direction. Right. Anyone else have any thoughts about why the design itself might conjure the image of the, uh, the underside of a boat? Well, that's a nice practical reason. Definitely, acoustics are. Are, are good, kind of. I mean, although they just the sound just kind of bounces off the walls and makes a mess of things. But uh, we're all on a journey together. Well, fair enough. We are all on a journey <laughs> together. Uh, who can tell me what First Peter three verse twenty one says? Cheating. There's a Bible. <laughs> you might. The table of contents is at the front. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I just busted on you. Okay, keep going. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made No, back up. To sorry. Slightly <laughs> before. Ah, there we go. Here we go. Yeah. He, he was put he to was death, put to in, death the in the flesh, flesh. There we go. but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. Not as a removal of their okay. appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so there's your, there's your like, giant, you know, spoiler hint. Why is it shaped like a boat? Because we too are saved. What's that right back there? That's a baptismal font. Yes, it's all meant to fit together in body forth the meaning of the scripture, right? So Anglicans have always believed that we are not simply spirits trapped in bodies. We are bodies who worship in spirit and truth, right? So what we do in worship is an extremely embodied act. And so... All of these elements, the architectural elements, the structural elements of the building itself, they're all designed to draw us into the interior meaning of Scripture and to illuminate that for us as we're worshiping in this context. That's why Anglicans have always put a premium on like beautiful worship spaces. And so we can explain some of these things uh, as, we, as we look around the building. Okay, so the, the main thing that you want to note is that this is called the nave, this area that you're in right now, and it's kind of shaped like a boat. The word nave actually comes from the Latin word, uh, I think it's novice, which is, uh, which is the word for boat. So, uh, the nave, it's the word for the boat. That You're standing in the boat right now. Um, the, the building is also shaped like a cross. So it's a boat that has wings, as it were, that, that uh, shaped like a cross. So what we're standing in right now is called the east-west transept. This is not actually east, just in case you're wondering. I don't think it is, anyway. No, yeah, baptism not. is in the east. Right. What's up? That's why the baptismal font is there, is because... You would, because of when you enter, the yeah. sun rises in the east, and you 
that's where the beginning is. It's oh, that's interesting. Fine. Usually, it's flipped. It's flipped. Yeah. Usually, the altar is is uh, altar wise is actually east. Yeah. So when we talk about liturgical east, that's actually the direction. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so here we go. This is the this is the east west transept, and that one right over there is the north south transept, and where they meet in the middle is called the crossing. Okay, so. Um, at the very uh, entryway of the church, or entryway of the sanctuary, when you come in, come into the nave, uh, you walk through that little circular hallway, which is called an ambulatory. Which is uh, a fancy word that basically means a circle hallway that comes into the nave. Uh, you, you come in, and there is the baptismal font. Why would the baptismal font be here in the entry? Any ideas? Boom! You know, I mean, we thought through everything. <laughs> You know, the entrance right, the way that we know that we belong to the church, it's right there. It's the baptismal font. And it's right here at the entryway of the, of the nave, which is, again, meant to conjure this sense of this is what we do to enter this space where we worship God. Okay, notice what it says here on the font. Anybody read it? Suffer the little children to come to me? Yes. So... We're not playing around with infant baptism. This is what we believe in. And we believe in this on the basis of not only that particular saying of the Lord, but on the basis of what St. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, which is that circumcision prefigures what baptism is. That the reality of baptism has come, and it has illuminated the interior meaning of circumcision, which is that we belong to the Lord. We belong to Jesus Christ. Um, and so the, the, the idea, you know, is always in the, if you read the prophets, the, uh, the idea of circumcision was always not simply to say you belong to the people of God, but also it was supposed to prefigure the meaning of, the, of, of an interior circumcision of the heart. So the prophets are always saying, and Moses actually says it in the entry to the promised land. He says, circumcise your hearts, right, in Deuteronomy. Um, but again, the prophets are always repeating that phrase, circumcise your hearts, circumcise your hearts. And so, again, First Peter tells us that baptism is this circumcision of the heart. That's what it, what it accomplishes. It puts us inside the church, uh, and it, it leads us to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, all right. Any other questions about what's back here, these elements? I, I would point out here, this is a really interesting, nice little architectural feature. You see these little floral patterns here? You know what they are? Okay. I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe those are. Well, look over here. It's clearer over here. <laughs> They're clusters of grapes. They're clusters of grapes. Okay. Why are grapes significant in the, uh, in the scriptures? There's lots of reasons. So you can just throw out any of them that sound important to you. Huh? Wine, right? Like wine, new wineskins, that whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? I'm the vine, you are the branches. Absolutely. Anything else? Absolutely. The parable of the vineyard. What else? The Last Supper. All of these meanings are kind of caught up into these little, you know, ceremonial architectural details. Uh, it's really cool. Um, so in, in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah refers to Israel as the vineyard that the Lord planted. It's the Lord's vineyard, okay? And so, uh, you know, w- whenever Christ is referring to himself as the true vine, uh, when, he, when he tells parables about the, the vineyard that has the, um, the evil tenants, right? The, the, the evil tenants that they take it over and try to steal it from the, from the owner. Um, he's talking about that particular 
understanding of what Israel is and its, its kind of place in the scheme of things, overall scheme of things. So we are grafted into that true vine in Jesus. And these, these clusters of grapes, these, these essentially, which, which is meant to conjure a, conjure a vineyard in some senses, uh, reminds us that we, whenever we come into the space, we're putting on again that identity in Christ. If we belong to him, then we remain in him and we, uh, and we are we're, we're saved, we're delivered. Um, so yeah, uh, anything else about this space so far that you have questions about? Hmm. You said it was restored. What year was it restored? Do you know? Was it while you were here? Yeah, oh, well. Wow. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So um, these, these stained glass windows at the top, this is a level of the, of the nave, which is called the clear story. And these clear story windows are all memorial windows. So given by original members of Ascension. Pretty cool stuff. Um, and, you know, all of these windows over here are uh, meant, to, meant to depict... Um, either saints or certain, certain aspects of the life of Christ. So, that, again, this is a constant kind of invitation into, uh, into, into worship with your bodies, right? To use your senses in the, in the, um, the practice of worship. And also, um, you know, to the extent that there are saints and things like that that are represented here, um, we're meant to remember that what the saints are, so that includes all of us, right? All of us who believe in Christ are actually saints. That the saints are... Um, are essentially the victory of Christ in flesh. It's the social triumph of Christ, like I said last week in, um, in, in, my, in my sermon on Acts. So uh, pretty cool to, to like just kind of be here visualizing all of that. Um, so let's move forward uh, deeper into the nave, and we'll move over here to the crossing, talk about a few more of the architectural elements. Okay, so the church is divided into essentially two sections. Uh, does anybody know why that, why that might be, symbolically speaking? Hmm. Well, it's, it's primarily for convenience sake. You know. <laughs> <laughs> this, this we know, that most of the things that we do have, been, have had an extra symbolic layer added. But the, the two sides of the church represent the two divisions, essentially, in New Testament literature, the epistles and the gospels. This is known as the epistle side, this is known as the gospel side. So you'll notice if you come to the 11, we don't actually do this at the 9, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. It's fine, though. Fine. It's what we do. Uh, <laughs> uh, the epistle is read from this side at the eagle, and uh, the gospel is read from over here at the pulpit. Um, so uh, the eagle actually represents, is the, is the symbol is associated with St. John the Divine, who is the author of the gospel and also the epistles. Uh, and he became closely associated with that in Anglicanism, with that, with that particular um, epistle uh, statuary, uh, because it was understood that John gave us the deepest insight into who Jesus is, and his epistolary literature actually illuminates the character of Jesus most elegantly. So, um, so that's, why that, that's why we got the Golden Eagle. Um, 
So um, we're, we're actually sta- I'm actually standing on the dividing point between uh, the two different sections of the church. Back there, obviously, is the nave. And up there, every, everywhere forward from where I am, is the chancel. Uh, the chancel is where the altar is situated. And the idea, actually, you see how there's, there's a kind of movement upward, gradual movement upward? Uh, it's meant to um, symbolize, in some sense, that we are, we're all moving towards the holy mountain of the Lord. Okay? So, so worship was always understood as the approach to the, to the holy mountain of the Lord. When the pilgrims would come into the city of Jerusalem, they would ascend, because Jerusalem's on a hill. Okay, so, you know, the Psalms of Ascent, we talked about those before, right, in the service. Uh, but the Psalms of Ascent are literally named that because when you're, when you're reciting them, when you're praying them, you're ascending the mountain to Jerusalem, okay? So here we are also ascending the holy mountain of the Lord together, uh, which is why, actually, um, it's not inappropriate that some, uh, some services are celebrated with the priest facing away from the congregation. That's what it feels like. like we're, I'm facing away from you or something. And if you, if you ever come to a Wednesday Eucharist, all the Eucharists are celebrated that way in there. Um, but it's actually not turning away. It's like we're all facing that same direction, climbing that mountain, ascending the, ascending the mountain to, um, to worship the Lord. Is that clear to everybody? That's, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you see that kind of like angle of ascent there, that's, that's what that's about. Um, right in the middle uh, during Eastertide, we have the Paschal candle set up. The Paschal candle symbolizes the light of Christ, which has overcome the darkness in the resurrection. Um, and, uh, and I guess we can, let's just take a brief walk over here to the um, Gordon Chapel. Everybody good? Any questions so far? Three lions. Where do you see them? Under the eagle. Well, now you got me stumped. Last time I did this, somebody asked me about the eagle, and I was like, I have no idea. But then I found out the reason for that. Now I've got to find out about the lions. I don't know why the lions are there. <laughs> What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I looked on your behalf, you know. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, hey, uh, Stacy, do you know how to turn on the Gordon Chapel lights? Okay, thank you. Okay, so this is really cool. This is called a rood screen as we enter into the chapel. Uh, and it's a very kind of medieval design. And uh, it's actually... Um, representing, I'm not mistaken, the Annunciation, although I can't really see how that, how does that work? Where's, where's Mary? Oh, there, there it is! <laughs> there it is. I've never actually noticed it before. I've always wondered, but there it is. Um, so it's, uh, it represents the Annunciation of, uh, of the angel, to, angel Gabriel to Mary, uh, which is cool. Where are you looking? Sorry, in the middle here, they're different on each side. Oh, yeah. Huh, they probably do. Oh, this is the Alpha and the Omega. No, this one is. Alpha and the Omega. And then it looks like a fleur de lis, actually. What's the fleur de lis for? Oh, because there is it it a French thing, French design. Well, I know, I know that those. Do you see? No, that's that one is a fleur de lis on this side, and this one's the Alpha and Omega. Are they switched? Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Interesting. I'd I'd be interested to know more of the history of that. It actually wasn't in the book. Um, I see this particular that particular fleur de lis on vestments sometimes, or on altars, cardinal. Interesting. It's got to be more than just French. I don't know. Well, I, I would say it would make sense because these, uh, um, the torches over here are actually uh, from, the 16, from the very early 16th century. They're basically 1500 from France. So Don't touch. So, yeah. Don't ever touch those, ever. <laughs> uh, they were donated in 1947, I think. So um, really cool addition to this. Uh, this... Um, this altar here is uh, inset into a reredo. That's the name of that particular um, uh, cabinet-looking thing that's right there. Uh, and it's, it, the, the, on, the, on the reredo is a, uh, an image of the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. And then she is surrounded on either side. I wrote this down. Hold on. Let me find it. 
It's St. Elizabeth and, uh, and little St. John. No, wait, it's not. Mary Magdalene and St. Catherine of Alexandria. But then further out, to come in, further out, it's uh, Elizabeth over here on this side, I think, and St. John, or maybe that's on the other side. And uh, nope, that's St. Anne and the Virgin. And then this is uh, St. Elizabeth and St. John. Y'all could come in. <laughs> what are you doing all the way back there? <laughs> Oh, these, these, these angels, or actually they're acolytes. They're not angels, they're acolytes. Um, yeah, from 1500 in France, which is really cool. What's that? Yeah, never touch them, ever. <laughs> and there's like a giant note over here, do not light the acolytes. <laughs> um, so uh, the, the, the frontal of the altar is uh, the Agnes Dei, and there are two cherubim on either side. Um, reverencing Christ. Ark so, yeah, Ark of the Covenant. There you go. Boom. Lots of symbolism. Very good stuff. Um, when did this get used? This w- this came in this came in in 1917, I think, or 1916. But er- early or you know early 20th century. Is very yeah. Common for, for just smaller services or private services or things like that. Yeah. And this upper triptych thing gets closed during Lent. It's just one more way that we kind of take away mm-hmm. all the visual pomp, if you will, and um, it's funny, if you worship in here at all, um, during Lent, you, it's like, can we open it? <laughs> can we open it? It's like, want you to open. So it's a way to really get your whole system. Yeah. I'll tell you in just a second. Look up, though. Do you see right there on the corner? What is that? Anybody know? Grain. It's wheat. Yeah, absolutely. So you got wheat over here and grapes over there. It's more of the, you know, really great symbolism. Um, okay, so this is called the Credence Table. All the Eucharistic elements sit on this uh, during, during services um, that are conducted here. Uh, we do all the Wednesday Eucharist here, so I uh, would love for any of you to join us at Wednesday noon um, for the Wednesday Eucharist. Uh, this cabinet here is called an ombre. You can see it right here. It was, this ombre is, give, is given for the greater glory of God, ad maiorum dei gloriam, and in loving memory of Cornelia M. Venables. There you go. Here's what an ombre is. In the, in the medieval period, uh, when you had bigger kind of manorial houses that had servants, um, the, uh, the servants would put extra food in a, in a special cabinet that was designed for you know, the servants to come and eat at. Right? So all the servants would come and get their food from, hit, from, from here rather than eating at the, the main table with the, with the owners of the mansion. Um, and so this, the idea with this is that anything that's consecrated gets put in here that's not consumed. It's put in here to be distributed later on to those who are sick or those who are, you know, for, for, for whatever reason, can't make it to the service. And we have all these little kits down here. Um, these are communion kits that we, uh, we actually have trained lay Eucharistic ministers. I'll talk about this later on. You know, we're going to talk about the ministries of Ascension. One of our ministries is lay Eucharistic ministers. So we've got... Lots of elderly people in this church, and uh, some of them are, have become you know, too, too weak to come to church, so people go, go visit them. The Lady Christian ministers go visit them, they bring communion to them, and they serve them communion, which is a really beautiful extension of the love of the body of Christ to those people. And that's actually a practice that goes all the way back as far as we can tell. I mean, there's uh, mentions of it in 150 AD in the First Apology of Justin Martyr. So, um, yeah, go ahead. So, um, how does using, was it Ombre, is that what you said? Ombre. A U M B R Y, Ombre. How does that coincide with what Bishop Grant told us last week about how like the elements need to be consumed because people would take them for superstitious reasons? Yeah, 
So how do you use that but also consume everything at the end of the story? Well, we don't always consume everything. I mean, so if, if we don't consume it, we reserve it here. Uh, and the reservation is not so that it might be worshipped, but that uh, we might actually distribute it later to those who have need. Um, that's always the purpose of it. And it also, like, we, we bring these, so inside of here, I'll just open it up so you can see. Uh, there's consecrated wine, there's consecrated bread in here. This little box is called a Pix, and it just has the consecrated bread inside of it. Uh, there's gluten-free stuff. And then also, because we have, we have uh, you know, we have, it's consecrated gluten-free stuff. Still counts, still counts, you know. Uh, but uh, we, because we have altar prayer uh, at both 9 and 11 a.m., which, by the way, if you ever have need of prayer on Sunday morning, it's a really meaningful thing to do. Like, our prayer warriors here are seriously prayer warriors. And they will, like, I mean, they'll, like, put their hands on you and start speaking in tongues. It's crazy. Um, awesome. Awesome crazy. Good crazy. Not bad crazy. Like, like 1 Corinthians 12, everything decently and in order crazy. Great stuff. I'd like to challenge you whether you're in need or not. Absolutely. So come get prayed for. And here, look at this. Look at this healing oil right here in the ombre. So these people, if you're if you're sick, if you have great need, come and get anointed with oil. It's awesome. Okay. So all that's in the ombre. Uh, but the the uh, the picks and the consecrated wine that's in the cruet will come out, uh, and they'll sit on top of the Eucharistic table at nine or at, on the high altar at the eleven, and uh, and basically they replenish if they replenish the elements if we run out. So. Anything that was consecrated in the cruet would go in here. Mm-hmm. And the bread, you know, nobody's been handling the bread, so we can go in here and we don't have to worry about, you know, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, any other questions about the Gordon Chapel? That candle. Is that always lit? Good question. Is that always there's lit? Something, if there's consecrated bread in there, hmm. that candle is lit. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Which makes me wonder if that is an ombre after all. Dark, that's dark too. It's an oil lamp. Alita. This is the lady who knows what she's talking about. Ask her. Totally. I mean, Altar Guild, like, it really is a guild. It's a craft. And so, you know, it's not simply the people who, you know, wash the linens. It's the people who actually, who, who prepare the service and who understand why we do all the things that we do in the service and what, you know, what, uh, um, what elements need to be part of that, put together appropriately for that service. So um, it really is, it really does function like a guild. So, um, so yeah, I would highly recommend all of you. Take a turn at it. Volunteer. All right, so let's pass into the chancel. So uh, these are the choir stalls here. Um, if you ever come to the 11 o'clock service, there's almost always people here who are, who are going to be leading us, helping to lead us in worship. Um, and if we pass through here into uh, past the altar rail. This is called the altar rail. Obviously, we... Uh, we kneel here to take communion, and this also has, notice, the cluster of grapes, uh, again, to, to remind us of, you know, what it is that we're doing. We're, we're being united, grafted into the vine, um, we're being maintained, we're remaining in Christ by receiving him in the Eucharist, 
but also we're receiving the Eucharist, so you know the grapes are appropriate. Um, this is the high altar. Um, there are certain um, tapestries that go on this high altar at all times, except for on Good Friday when they're removed. Uh, there's the fine linen. I don't know if that's it, actually. Down here, you can see it. This is, this is called the frontal, and the frontal is the liturgical color of the season. So right now we're in Eastertide, so it's white. Um, and we've got the wall cross and various candles, which you know, are simultaneously uh, very useful, but also symbolize the light of Christ. Um, these candles are actually, are, are they in the shape of menorahs? Yeah, so that, that's what I thought. I wasn't actually clear on that, but I think, I think that's right. Um, Does have it does have eight. Well, they have nine. Yeah, so they're not actually menorahs, but they have that same shape. So I'm not sure what the significance is there. Um, any other questions about this area over here? Well, we call this, the, this is the sanctuary. Right. When when people talk about the sanctuary, this is what we call the sanctuary, not the whole building. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself tripping up over that. I call the whole thing the sanctuary sometimes, but this actually is the sanctuary. And again, here you see the grapes that are carved into the wood over here. Um, lots of that kind of stuff. Okay, this mural. Um, this mural is a marvel. So it wasn't original to the building. Um, it was uh, created in... Hold on, I've got it written down. Okay, it's placed in its present position in March 1918. And it is the second largest representation of the Ascension in America. So, and it's on a canvas. And it's on a canvas, unbelievably. Unbelievably. It was restored 30 years ago, so five years before I got, uh, yeah, five years before I got here. It wasn't up there. And if you're in the back, sometimes you might see these lines on it. And I thought there was water damage. And it's, it's the um, chain, the shadow of the chains holding um, the lamps that <laughs> casts, that casts on it. Hmm. So, yeah, it was totally restored. Did you say that was 30 years ago? 30 years ago. Yeah. And did you say it's the largest representation? Second largest in the country. What's the largest? The first is in New York City. Huh. I want to say it's at an Episcopal Church. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, any, any further questions about uh, the nave, the chancel, or the sanctuary? There's a brochure about the art and architecture. Yeah. I don't remember, but they're, they're like 70. Yes, there is. <laughs> that, if you're in the choir and you're trying to watch the organist to know when to start, you are glued on that mirror. And so the guys who are facing this way are looking in that mirror so they can see Gene no matter what. And yeah. So they don't get dirty. The crosses? Yeah, the crosses. They're used in procession. That's, a, that's the one that's usually used at the 11 o'clock and is in place usually in the middle for 9 o'clock, and this one's a smaller cross. That's, uh, is that my... No, that's not the one the kids carry on. When I first got here, we had two crosses in the procession. We just have one. Front and back. Yeah. Now it's just one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, there's uh, a, um, an element of, of what your churchmanship is like mm-hmm. that goes with that. So number one... If your if your table is out there, it's always a table. So the idea is the table is out among the people. That we're the, the visualization is that we're feasting with the Lord, right? And the the placement here towards the back of the of the whole um, uh, 
what, what is this called? This whole sanctuary. sanctuary. Well, this is the sanctuary. Anyway, the back of the whole sanctuary uh, is, is meant to suggest this upward ascent to the mountain of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is a, it's a, I guess, a higher church position, as it were, for the altar. Um, and then you, when you rail the altar around, the idea is that you're going to kneel to receive, receive the Lord. So there's a much higher sense of what is happening in the Eucharist, in a sense. Um, that you're, you're, like, Christ is literally present in this, uh, in this meal that we're receiving together. Um, so that's, that would be my two cents on that. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Um, <laughs> here we are, we're in America. We don't, we, uh, we want to uh, contribute to the, citizen, the citizenship of America. I mean, that's, it's, we want, we want to create, create good citizens. Uh, and so we, you know, we don't reverence that flag, yeah. but it's there to remind us that we are, in fact, citizens of this country. So, um, anyone else? Are you going to talk about the poem? I am. I'm about to. Yep. This so, drum kit is very important. <laughs> this, it was gifted to us in 1947. No, uh, the drum kit is just—it's just a drum kit um, <laughs> for our contemporary worship. I'm sure it has been blessed by the bishop. I would not doubt that. So this is the, this is the Oliver Chapel. Uh, it is. Do we ever have services here? I guess we do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. For, for columbarium, right? For columbarium yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's just start with the columbarium in that case. So this is, right over here, a columbarium. This contains uh, interred ashes of many of the members of our church over the years. So what's really amazing about this is that every Sunday, you confess that you believe in the communion of saints. Here they are. <laughs> you know? uh, so you worship alongside of those who've been worshiping in this church for, you know, over a hundred years, which is really great. Is that why there's grapes on it, too? <laughs> there's always grapes. <laughs> These are all branches. This is not nearly as old as the rest of the stuff. Okay, okay. I mean, the columbarium was maybe 15 years old. I think. Yeah. Oh, okay, never mind. Okay, not a hundred years. They built it and mimicked all the, um, mm. you know, the woodwork is mimicked. It, I mean, you see those same spires up mm. in, the, in the sanctuary. Yeah. I did not know that. That's uh, that makes it less formidable. But it's still, why it's so Good question. I don't think so. Although um, we are going to have an All Saints service here this this year, and it should probably be right here, honestly. Um, oh, on All Saints. On All Saints Day, not on All and Saints like, Sunday. If we're having a service. Yeah. These doors are open. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If there's a service, they are open. Not just so people who you know have somebody in there can can sit. But there, but there is that element too. I mean, people do come here after the service and you know, like essentially commune with the people that they've lost. So, that is an element of it. Anything else in this space that you have uh, questions about? Well, last room uh, is the sacristy. So let's just pile in there real quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, uh, there's no magic. So, in this space... 
Um, basically, all the liturgical vestments and um, all the tapestries that we use, uh, all of the, the silver that we use for communion, all of those elements are all in this space. So if you look... Oh, sorry, guys. Move out of the way. I'll go in this closet. Stoles and chasubles that we use are all in here. So chasubles. I'll tell you what a chasuble is. It's a... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Is it in here? Oh, no, it's not in here. Okay, well, I can't show it to you. But uh, chasuble, it looks like a big cape. And uh, it's meant to... Um, so you, the, the, where? Oh, yeah. Here we go. That's a chasuble. It's like a poncho. That's a chasuble. Yeah, it's exactly like a big poncho. There we go. That's like a big poncho. Um, I'm, sure it, I'm sure it serves some very useful purpose at some point. Uh, but, of course, then it became like, you know, um, just ornamented with various symbolic uh, elements to it. Um, but uh, you notice the pomegranates here, uh, we're, we're meant to understand, uh, it's supposed to conjure in our minds the temple, right? And the, these are like the temple vestments that were worn. Uh, and so the, the Eucharistic celebrant is always the one who wears this uh, garment. So um, yeah, that's chasuble. Um, stoles are in there. Um, stoles are a sign of priestly authority. It's actually a yoke. It's supposed to be a yoke. Uh, it's a heavy weight that we bear, you know, bearing the authority of Christ. Uh, but we are, we are given, we are given to the body uh, to direct and to lead and to guide and to preach the gospel uh, and to, um, to minister the sacraments. That's, that's our, um, that's our remit. So, um, and then uh, these various things in here are albs, which are, uh, it's just the robe that we wear um, on Sunday morning. And again, uh, once upon a time was just what you wore in the ancient world. Uh, but it's become ornamented with various symbolisms of which I don't know what, except for white means purity and, you know, heaven and things like this. Wait, so, who wears the... All the... Who, the poncho? The poncho. The poncho. <laughs> oh, it's the Eucharistic celebrant. It's the one who's actually celebrating the Eucharist that So, do you sometimes wear it? Because I can only picture Jonathan, right. not you. I, I have... Let's see. I've worn it maybe twice. Okay. Because, uh, actually, Jonathan um, limits the amount that it is worn. Uh, and I, I, I'm not totally sure his, re- his reasoning for that, but he, it's high holy days that it's worn. So mm-hmm. Easter, Christmas, um, probably All Saints. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the other ones are, but anyway. Uh, and through that room are, are various uh, cassocks and um, surpluses for choir members and for um, lay Eucharistic ministers, that kind of stuff. So, and then in this closet right here, I'll show you. That's okay. You didn't know what I was going to do. I have the magic the master skeleton key. I don't have a key to this. That's because we don't trust you. <laughs> okay. And here is where all the Eucharistic vessels are. So this would be all the stuff that we have at the 9 a.m. Oh, great. Now I've messed it up. Okay. Well, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um... You don't have the fancy stuff set out for Sunday yet. We have these beautiful, we have these beautiful chalices that we use at the 11 a.m. Some of them were uh, actually. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? what? You're going to show me the beautiful one that was original. I don't know which one is original. It's the it's the most ornate one. Oh yeah, the Catholic chalice. Yeah, the Catholic Catholic chalice. So this was given. This Catholic chalice was Catholic chalice as they call it. Uh, it it uh, it's like old world. Is that one? This is the tall Catholic chalice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. This is this is old world silver, and it's a medieval design uh, given by one of the first members at Ascension. Really cool stuff. So, um, 
We use it on 11 a.m. every Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry, you get glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and the idea behind all this, this richly, or whatever it was, the God of the universe is worthy of this. He's the one who created yeah. beauty. And um, uh, this is a real quick story, not about our church, but I was in Scotland when Rosalind Chapel, y'all familiar with that from, um, what's the movie that, the, shoot, that isn't based in history, but the chalice hunting for, the, anyway, Rosalind Chapel in Scotland. Are you talking about the Vinci Code? Thank you. Oh. <laughs> It wasn't based in history. That was my only clue. Right. <laughs> Rosalind Chapel, okay? Um, in Scotland, um, it's this little chapel that was fashioned after... Anyway. So, um, but they were re- replacing the roof. And what they discovered when they took the old roof off was all this art. Incredible huh. carvings and everything that nobody would ever see. But it wasn't there for us. It was there for the glory of God. And I'm like, I want to see this... <laughs> you know, when we have to replace one of these 15 rows or something, I, wanna, I would love to see if there's stuff like that up there. So that's kind of all the, when you see this ornate stuff and everything, we don't get this, we're not part of this, ah, simple, we're not going to waste money, yeah. you know, there's always the poor, right. we take care of them too, but th- that's why it's here, is to, for his, his glory. So uh, I, I want to I also point out that the most ascetical bishop of the 4th century is a guy named John Chrysostom. Um, he railed against the, uh, the, the, his imp- the empress, I forget what her name was. Um, Theodosia. No, it wasn't Theodosia. It was a different one. Um, but uh, but he, he railed against her pomp and splendor. Uh, he, you know, he basically told everybody who slept in an ivory bed that they're going to go to hell. I mean, it was, uh, it was very, he was very severe, okay? Um, but he also wrote many, uh, many texts about liturgical splendor because the whole point is, what is the church doing when we gather? We're participating in the heavenly banquet now. And so what we do with our bodies ought to symbolize that, ought to figure it. Um, and so the, there's, a, there's a beauty and an ornamentation to our worship that it, it actually does remind us of that and help us participate in that. So, um, so is it Eudoxia? I think it's Eudoxia. I don't know. Okay. I'll ask Jonathan Warren. Yeah, well. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the, uh, unless anybody has any questions about sacristy. Okay. Let's uh, head back up to this classroom. That's right. Exactly. So, uh, hey, Melita, Melita is the person you want to talk to if you want any part of the altar guild. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Liturgical. The liturgical puppet. And the liturgical ironing board. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> you, you get the Holy servant. Why, why is there a Trinity hymnal over there? Is that from PCA? Um, good, good question. You know, we're, we're, um, we're not, uh, we're equal opportunity hymnists, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there, like, a theme to the stained glass, like, yeah. Injury, like, does it sh- tell a story or something? Or just you know, the, the book didn't, didn't I, was, I was actually hoping the book would reveal some of that stuff, but it, it didn't go into detail about it. It just said that those ones in the clear story level are all memorial windows. Um, so original to the building, but not, um, didn't go into detail about what they are. They're individual saints. Yeah. You know, do, you know which, do you know which saints they are? Are they saints that are just, like, relevant to the person who gave the window? Or? No, no. I mean, but they're historical. Right. You know, like, I mean, there's the woman abbot up there and yeah you have to know who they are there's a book i thought that said who they are well i looked in that i looked in the book that that uh was written about ascension i didn't see anything in there about it but 
Uh, anyway, all right. Well, saints. Thank you. Okay, let's head back to the classroom. Malia, would you mind um, turning off the lights on your way Oh, all right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, as you're coming back to your seats, does everybody have one of these? Has everybody got a, one of the three handouts? Huh? The one that says Church of the Ascension Vision and Values. What time is it? Oh, wow, that was long. <laughs> that was not how much time I planned for that. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll have to move faster. All right. Um, so we're actually we're actually running pretty far behind schedule. That's just fine. I mean, I'm glad. I'm super glad that uh, that there was such a thorough exploration of the sanctuary. Uh, it's a very meaningful space, and we worship there every Sunday. So I think it actually enriches worship for us to know like the the kind of attention that's gotten in detail that's gone into the design of that place. Um, but so just real briefly, I want to just kind of. Um, look at Ascension, Ascension's uh, mission statement and our, our vision and values and just try to um, unpack some of that a little bit. Because I think, you know, ultimately the purpose of tonight is to introduce you to our common life here at Ascension and to talk about, you know, what does it look like to participate in that common life using your gifts? So if you want to know what our common life is about, you can look at our mission statement. We are a worshiping community, equipping God's people, sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. So we are a worshiping community that we, wor- we worship distinctively in an evangelical Anglican style. Uh, and and the, the idea of, that, of those, p- putting those two words together is that we are, uh, we are people who proclaim the gospel week in and week out. Our preaching is always oriented towards the proclamation of Jesus Christ. So we're evangelical in that sense. But we're Anglican in the sense that we participate in a very distinctive tradition of worship. And we, we have a, uh, you know, obviously anybody who comes into our worship service understands that we are deeply liturgical. Um, we value excellence in our, in our liturgy. Uh, we, we value excellent preaching. We value um, excellent music. So we strive for that in various ways. We, we strive to have blended worship in both of our services. So there's a contemporary element of all of our worship, that, and there's traditional elements to all of our worship. Um, you'll notice even at the 9 a.m. where the focus is contemporary music, we use hymns uh, and, and, and also arrangements of the psalms and things like this uh, to, to orchestrate the music. So there's a, a kind of a, a blending of new and old in that. Um, and we're, we're deeply intergenerational in our musical styles and, and in our worship styles. So there's, there's some new and there's some old. Uh, so that, th- these are all kinds of elements of, of what it means to be a worshiping community here at Ascension. We're also um, devoted to equipping God's people, and we do this in various ways. Uh, we, have a, we have a really profound focus on discipleship here at Ascension. Um, we don't want people just to be like, kind of cast adrift, right? You come to worship and then you disappear into the ether, and you come back next week. We don't want that to be what our, life, what our common life together is like. So we, we want you to be connected to community. We also want to equip you to, to live out your vocations in the world uh, and to do so in a way that honors God and is devoted to God. Um, and so we have, we have classes that facilitate that. Uh, we, we have very specific, like, targeted classes. Like, we have marriage enrichment courses. We have this How We Love course that's being offered right now. We have uh, Financial Peace University, which is dedicated to helping you get your finances on track. Um, and we, we have, you know, a, a variety of things like this course, the, you know, the Understanding Anglicanism course. Uh, every 
you know, about once a month, once every six weeks, I will teach a class on Scripture, okay? So uh, I want to, you know, introduce us to the, the books of Scripture that we're reading in the lectionary readings on Sunday uh, so that we have a better understanding of that. And we also, you know, we equip community group leaders with, uh, with questions based on the Scripture readings each week that are informed by the sermons that we're preaching. So we, our, our design here is to really equip God's people um, for, uh, for service in the world. We also, you know, very new thing is we're, we're creating a, a network of mentor relationships between, uh, to facilitate intergenerational relationships, right? To resource the wisdom of those who are more mature among us for those who are younger among us. Um, so those kind of intergenerational relationships are also part of that equipping ethos. Um, so it's, it's a big piece of who we are. We, are we, we see ourselves explicitly as disciples of Christ. Uh, and, and so we're devoted to growing and progressing in that discipleship. And we believe that every Christian is called into ministry by virtue of their baptism. So we have a profound focus on lay ministry. And we'll see that in just a minute as we turn to the actual ministries of Ascension and all the different places where you can plug in. You'll see there's just an, an, really an overwhelming array of them that um, we're inviting you in to serve uh, to service in. Um, and we want you to serve really where, uh, where you feel passionate, where you feel like your, your gifts uh, are a good fit and will be most you know, um, uh, well used to the service of God and the service of the kingdom, the service of the church. Um, we have that profound emphasis on, on lay ministry. Uh, and we also exist to share Christ's healing with a broken world. Um, the Great Commission calls us to share Christ um, with the world. It, it calls us to make disciples of all nations. So we want to be people who are actively about the business of sharing our faith with others. We want to do that in word and in deed. We believe in serving the city. We have lots of ministries outside of the walls of our parish. We have connections with lots of different ministries, especially in the east end of Pittsburgh. But we also support international missionaries. And we want to equip you to serve God and be devoted to God in your, your, the ordinary callings of your life. I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're a parent, whether you're uh, you know, uh, a systems analyst, whether you're um, you know, a teacher— Whatever it is, however you are serving Christ in the world, we want to equip you to do that, and we want to send you to do that, uh, and to support you and accompany you as you do that. Uh, so any questions about the, um, the mission statement or kind of that overview of the life of Ascension? That was pretty quick, but we've got to move. Um, if there's no questions, then what we'll do is we'll turn to the spiritual gifts inventory, um, which I, I gave you, and we'll take... Maybe uh, it's not long. It's only uh, you know, two pages, essentially, and you've got to fill out the third page. Uh, so I think we should be able to finish it in maybe uh, 15, 20 minutes. So why don't we take that time to do that? And, and really, my, my goal here is to give you a kind of introduction to spiritual gifts. If you've never thought about this before, uh, this may surprise you or it may confirm what you already have suspected is the case. Um, but either way, um, I'm, very, I'm very available, um, moving on from here, to talk to you about it. So if you, if you realize something about yourself through the taking of this test, I'd love to sit down and have coffee with you and talk about what might it look like to actually use these gifts in the church, in, this, in the service of Christ in the world. So um, let's just take 15, 20 minutes and, uh, and go through this test. Yeah. Okay, anybody, um, anybody want to share their results? I mean, there's no pressure. You don't want to share your results, but um, anyone... Feel inclined to do so? Gabby. Okay. Um, I'll share mine. Uh, so mine were teaching knowledge and encouragement, which is not a surprise to me at all. Um, teaching and knowledge uh, kind of manifest themselves in similar ways, but um, I, I do think that God has equipped me with a certain facility with memorizing texts. Mm-hmm. 
so um, that that has that has been of, of assistance to me at various points. Uh, and I and I love to teach. I really do. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, encouragement is an interesting one, um, and I think that basically what God has enabled me to do is to really see um, what a person is doing well and to promote that. Like not just with that person to encourage them in that thing that they're doing well, but also to kind of broadcast it so that other people can see it too. So um, anyway, um, <clears throat> like I said, if you are at all interested in uh, exploring a little bit deeper um, or figuring out how this, how this might translate into ministry here at Ascension, I would love to explore that with you. Please feel free to send me an email and I'd love to sit down with you. Um, in the last uh, half hour, I want to turn, um, number one, to the ministries at Ascension and the ministry of your vocation and growth in vocational holiness. Um, so the ministries at Ascension, uh, you can see this is like five pages. So there is a lot to do and to be done at Ascension. Um, a lot of ways that you can be invested and, and plugged in. And so what I've done is basically try to diagram those uh, in six different categories. Uh, it's, I didn't invent that. It's actually on the website. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I drew it all together, and I added the contact information, which was difficult. <laughs> so, um, so we've got this first category of Sunday morning teams. Uh, that includes the Altar Guild, which uh, you met Melita already. And uh, the Altar Guild prepares the church for worship services. And as I said, it is very guild-like. You actually do learn a lot. You learn all the names of the things that you're touching and handling, and you learn why we set things up the way we do. And, uh, and what the symbolism of it is. And so there's lots of really cool things that you learn as part of that team, and it really enriches your worship experience. So uh, there's three uh, captains to that team, Susan Bailey, Melita Carter, and Tissy Forsyth, and you can contact any of them if you want to get involved there. Um, a lot of that work is done on Saturday mornings as a kind of FYI, um, but sometimes during the week as well. Obviously, Melita was here tonight. Um, there's also the greeter ministries. Uh, and, you know, Marilyn was talking about this earlier. And I think it's a really crucial thing that people experience when they come into Ascension is that this is a really warm church. Uh, and it's because we actually have a lot of intentionality around that. We, um, we appoint people to, like, serve in that capacity. Um, so, you know, we, we discovered actually that, there, that our, our hospitality hours after, after the, each service were, were, were sagging a bit in this respect, that people were kind of, you know, they, they were standing off in the corner, maybe not getting greeted or whatever. So we actually appointed hospitality captains for those hours, right? That these are, there, there are different ways that you can be involved in this kind of greeter ministry uh, that is a really crucial piece of, of uh, the, the life of Ascension and making it a warm and welcoming place. Um, usher, uh, the usher ministry is very similar to the greeter ministry uh, in some ways, uh, although it has very distinct tasks that are associated with it. It's, distributing bulletins, taking up the offerings, and other kinds of logistical uh, duties that are associated with the service uh, that actually happen during the worship services. Um, very important um, points of contact for people as they come into the sanctuary, right? As they're, you know, you, they're, they're being greeted, they're given a bulletin, and welcomed into the space, welcomed into the service, and, and shown a place where they can sit. You know, sometimes when you walk into ser- to a service, if it's really full, it can feel really intimidating. Where do I actually sit? Well, ushers help you know, find that place for people. Um, so again, it's a very, very strongly greeting-oriented ministry. So if you have that kind of um, ability to make people feel at home or be hospitable to folks, then that, that would be a great place for you to plug in. 
Um, similarly, I mean, it's like, look at this. We have three in a row, the welcome table, right? Uh, this, this is a table that's set apart actually to greet newcomers, right? And we, we give them a gift. Every newcomer that comes in, we give them a gift. So the person who uh, staffs that table um, will, will be in, invested in, you know, a further line of, uh, of welcoming and greeting hospitality to guests uh, and answering any kind of questions that they might have about the church. The next team is uh, the team of crucifers and acolytes. And you notice, uh, if you come to the 11 a.m., you notice we have a procession at the beginning of the service. Uh, and the procession is led by a cross and two uh, torches. And the, the torches are carried by acolytes. The person who carries the cross is called a crucifer. Uh, and they lead this procession. They're followed by the choir, by lay Eucharistic ministers, uh, and then by the clergy. And the celebrant kind of uh, takes up the rear. Okay, So the person who's celebrating the Eucharist. Um, so in that procession at the beginning, the, the, there is a team that actually staffs the, um, the acolytes and the crucifer roles. So um, that, that's a team that's composed both of youth, usually the, the youth are acolytes, uh, and the crucifer can either be a youth or an adult. So if that's at all interesting to you, um, being involved in the service in that way. Uh, and, you know, actually there, there's, um, there's actually potentially two points of procession in the service uh, during high holy seasons like Eastertide. We, uh, we actually process the gospel out during the gospel reading. So you may, may have noticed that. Um, so the crucifer will also lead that procession as well. Um, we've also got readers and chalice bearers. So you notice, you know, um, that the Old Testament and the, uh, the, the epistle reading from the New Testament are almost always done by laypersons. Uh, and, and the reason for that is we, we want actually uh, the, the, the body to be invested in the reading, reading of Scripture, the proclamation of Scripture. Um, so that those roles are, um, are are done in a rotation. Again, I don't know if it's monthly or there's not really any I rhyme or reason to it. Once a month, that's my choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't. Uh, but you don't serve by the month. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. You know, so like I tend to bear chalice once a month, and I'll read once a quarter. Yeah. So we also have lay Eucharistic ministers that that bear the chalice, uh, and this is an this is an incredibly important role. Uh, the priests are always the ones who, who are bread bearers, but the, the chalices are, are, um, are borne by laypersons usually, almost always. Um, and so the person who oversees that ministry, again, that happens on a rotation, and that ministry is overseen by Jay Gilmer. Uh, there's also a rotation on prayers of the people. So you notice that there's this point in the service where, uh, where there's, there's intercessions offered on behalf of the body, like the universal global body of Christ, and uh, we pray for, uh, for justice in the country. We pray for our leaders. We pray for all clergy. We pray for, uh, the, the, um, for justice to be done in the nation. I think I mentioned that one already. Uh, we pray for specific missions that, uh, that Ascension is involved with. Uh, that's actually kind of a new feature in our, in our intercessory prayer, but it's a really important one to highlight those ministries that we have an investment in, both financially and otherwise. Um, and then we pray for all those who are sick, um, all those who, are, um, who have been injured in some way. We pray for, we pray, and we pray for the dead. Uh, we pray for those who have gone on to be with the Lord. So all of, those, all of those prayers are offered up on behalf of the body. And because they're offered up on behalf of the body, they're also offered by a member of the body. So that's, a, that's a, usually a lay role. Almost always, again, a lay person uh, has that responsibility. So if that's of interest to you, if you love to pray, if you love to craft prayers specifically, that's... Uh, that's a great role for you to be invested in. And then lastly, security. So there's, you know, this is a big building, a big plant, and so we, uh, we need to make sure that various offices and all these other places are secure uh, because, you know, we have, we have vulnerable people in this building. Um, so that team is really a crucial piece of making sure that things are as, as they should be on Sunday morning. 
The second uh, group of, of uh, things to be invested with, the second group of teams, is the music and the arts team. So uh, this is still Sunday morning to some degree, uh, but not entirely. Uh, actually, I guess it is entirely. Yeah, this is entirely Sunday mornings as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that's that's a good point. Um, although they are kind of they're, they're drawn from these Sunday morning teams, right? So, um, so there's a 9 a.m. worship team. Uh, again, our 9 a.m. Uh, worship is uh, mostly dedicated to contemporary style, but we have uh, lots of hymnic elements um, to this. We 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 often uh, will will sing psalms that have uh, been been set to new music or ancient hymns that have been set to new music. Um, and we have, we have people who play a variety of instruments. We've had cello, we've had drums, we've had piano, guitar, on down the line. So if you have any kind of facility with music or you like to sing, this would be a great thing to get invested in. Uh, same thing at the 11 a.m. Uh, there's contemporary music there and opportunities to get invested in that. Uh, there's also the 11 a.m. choir. For my money, there's no worship like the choir singing in the back of the nave. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. So high point for me on Sunday mornings. Um, Okay, uh, uh, along with uh, these different roles in, in being invested in the musical worship of the church, there is this incredibly important ministry of the sound desk. Uh, so we have these microphones, and they're plugged into these kind of sound boxes, and uh, the sound desk regulates the volumes, basically. So uh, if that is not uh, well-staffed, there is chaos that ensues. So it's a very important role. Uh, you don't actually have to have any native facility or background training in running a sound desk, there's on-the-job training available. Uh, and we have great need at the 11 a.m. specifically. So if, you, uh, if that sounds at all interesting to you, uh, please do get in touch Lots with Gene Cohn. Grace when there's errors because there's That's right. new people yeah. Just, yeah. There it is. Lots of grace, on-the-job training. What more could you ask for, <laughs> honestly? Um, there's also special music that sometimes uh, is featured on Sunday morning. Um, and so we welcome vocalists, musicians with various instrumental skills. Uh, that's, again, Gene Cohn is in charge of that. But you've, you've probably heard this. I mean, uh, man, um, on Good Friday, who came to the Good Friday service? How about Andy Cohn playing Spiegel and Spiegel? Oh, my gosh. That was unbelievable. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is really what we're talking about. Uh, just, you know, the opportunities to, to um, help the congregation enter into a meditative moment in the, in, in the midst of worship. Um, it's really, really a beautiful opportunity if you have musical talent in that respect. Then uh, lastly, uh, the children's choir. If anybody uh, here has children that are of that age, um, it's a wonderful way for kids to serve. Uh, mostly at the 11 a.m., but occasionally also at the 9 a.m. Uh, the third category would be the congregational care team. Um, so this is a, a wide-ranging group of, of, uh, of teams that are really devoted to um, taking care of the needs of the body. Um, so we, we call this team congregational care as opposed to pastoral care to make it clear that the body needs to be mobilized and resourced uh, to, to actually do this work. You know, we've got two full-time equivalent priests on staff. We can't handle all the pastoral care needs in this congregation. Um, and we wouldn't want to. I mean, we, it's, it's actually a privilege. It's a great privilege for us to be able to minister to people, and we actually want to invite you into that work um, yourselves to, to actually care for the body. So there's, uh, there's great ways you can be invested in that. Number one is um, altar prayer on Sunday mornings. I mentioned that when we were in the Gordon Chapel, but basically we have prayer ministers who every Sunday um, 
Um, and you don't serve every Sunday. You serve on a rotation, again, like most of these teams um, that, that have something to do with Sunday morning. But these teams are there um, to meet people where they are when they're coming from communion, um, people who are you know, deeply grieving or hurting or, or, um, or ill in some way, um, who desperately need prayer. These are, these are the folks who are the front line of prayer for, um, for all these different folks who are coming through and receiving communion. It's a really beautiful ministry and a really powerful one that meets people where they are. And there is training. And we pray for each other. Yeah. Or I, I'm not on that team anymore. I'm not, I can't go on the Saturdays anymore. But there's lots of, of prayer for the prayer ministers by the prayer ministers. Um, Are you talking about the prayer practicum? Uh, yeah. Why don't you say more about that? So on a monthly, so probably 10 times out of the year, there's what's called a prayer practicum. And that's, so there's, so about 10 yeah. times a year there, on, a, on a monthly basis, there's a, um, a prayer practicum, which is a teaching, but the teaching always involves um, practicing what you've been taught so that you're practicing on each other. Do you attend, Rachel, regularly? She might be able to tell you a little more okay. specifically. Rachel, say more about the prayer practicum. I'm going to bring this over to you real quick. Who leads the prayer practicum? Uh, Diane Settlemeyer. Um, she's fabulous. She's been doing this for a really long time. She's a person of incredible grace, and uh, I learned from her, a lot from her. Um, yeah, prayer practicums are beautiful. Every time I go, I really am glad I went. Um, you really get to know the other people who come in a deep way. It's usually only a handful of people, like five to ten. Um, and learn a lot about the ways the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives, both in in our own lives, as well as testimonies from other places, teachings from other places, um, and get to pray for each other, as, as um, Stacy mentioned. Um, and Sunday mornings on the prayer team, I, th- I think it's one of the most special things I get to do at Ascension, because um, you really hear people's hearts. It's very brief. They mention something, a sentence or two, um, but then you get to listen to God together, and he acts. And if you want to see the Holy Spirit do things in people's lives, it's a great way to do it. So, yeah. Well, who needs a better sales pitch than that? That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Stacey, for that. Um, there's also um, an intercessory prayer list that you can be part of here at Ascension. We have a lot of prayer requests that come through, and we have a team of intercessors that receive these and, and faithfully pray for them. So that's an important way you can be involved as well. Um, there, uh, I mentioned uh, when we were looking at the ombre, remember that we keep the, Euchari- the consecrated Eucharistic reserved elements there uh, in, in order to bring them to uh, members of the body who can't, for whatever reason, be at church. Uh, we have, it's, we, it says lay Eucharistic ministry here, but I think we actually call it lay Eucharistic visitors. So this is a ministry you can be trained for, and then you can go, um, you can actually go visit people who are, you know, they're shut-ins or they're elderly and can't get here or who are sick and, you know, at a hospital or whatever and just need communion brought to them. Um, it's a really rich ministry. Everyone who does it, um, they, 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 you know, they talk about how significant it is, what a significant ministry it is. Because you, you actually get to be present with someone who's, who's weak and, and um, who really needs uh, the, the company and presence of the body. So um, it's a beautiful way to be involved in a ministry. Uh, there's also uh, various meal ministries that, that the church uh, engages in. So, you know, people at various stages of life often, you know, have an, a great need. To have meals brought to them. So people who are sick or bereaved, people who need help in some other way, new moms. So um, all these different uh, these um, people are often in great need of, of food. So uh, Jill Shook has taken the lead on the administrative side of this. 
and she does a great job reaching out to anybody who has been reported as needing a meal. And, and then there's a team of people who actually cook those meals and bring them. So I've done that a couple times. Uh, I know, Stacey, you've done that. Uh, and it's a really wonderful time. You actually get to go in and visit with these people and you know, get to hear about how they are and minister to, minister to them a bit while you bring them the meal, which is a really cool thing. Uh, and then lastly, uh, the caregiver ministry, which is we have a lot of people in our congregation who are, you know, they, they have special needs children or they're taking care of a, of a sick um, elderly parent or something like that. Um, and they're, they're just, they're, they're exhausted and they're discouraged and they need, um, they need help. So um, this ministry really exists to help those people uh, to not feel so alone, honestly. So it's, it's a matter of, of sitting with them, of, of, being, of accompanying them, of being present to them. Not trying to solve their problems, you know, but just really listening, being, being someone who is able to sit with them. So uh, it requires, um, you know, patience and it requires the, the ability to sit in the midst of pain, which I think is it's tough for a lot of people. But uh, it's, it's a great skill to grow in, honestly, if you're a Christian, because that's, that's actually our calling. That's what the incarnation is, is like God, God dwelling with us in the midst of our sorrow and brokenness. And that's actually what we're called to be for each other. We can't solve each other's problems, but we can be present to one another just as Christ is present to us. So that caregiver ministry is a really important one. Okay, uh, church ministries team. Uh, these are the kind of nuts and bolts of the, uh, this, the architectonic structures, as it were, of Ascension's ministry life. So number one, children's ministry. Uh, hey, look who it is. Alex Banfield Hicks, everyone. Alex, why don't you come up here and introduce yourself. Good on you, man. Way to come. I appreciate you. I'm glad you didn't come like an hour ago because we were in the nave and you were like, where is everyone? Hey, go ahead, introduce yourself. I'd like to hear your name, uh, that, uh, how long have you been here, areas that you oversee in ministry, in ministry life, and then what's your favorite thing about working at Ascension is. Uh, who's preceded me? Who's been good? Uh, <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone, pretty much everyone was That's amazing. Been, yeah, Stacey was great. <laughs> uh, so my name is Alex Banfield-Hicks and I've been here since July 2015, so pushing three years. Um, in terms of responsibilities, uh, there's the Friday night middle school youth group. Um, so 12, 13, 14 year olds and profound conversations and silly games and friendship building. Um, and then on a Sunday night, there's the high school youth group. So more profound conversations, less silly, well, equally silly games. Um, great music. But great music, youth led music team who do really well. Um, and then in the summer, launching a new campus ministry. And in fact, there's going to be a little prayer gathering in Cathy, the Cathedral of Learning, on June, uh, uh, June the 10th, Monday Sunday, calendars. June the 10th. So that's when Leah Hornfeck is going to be joining us with the CCO. Um, so that's going to be exciting. And then um, helping Danielle with uh, the monthly Compline. So kind of a gathering for the glamorous hip 20-somethings and food and fellowship and classy liturgy and historic spaces. Um, but I guess in all that, just wanting to be building teams that develop leaders that the church needs and that the world needs. And uh, I'm excited to be part of this team. Since I have you up here, mm. why don't you tell them opportunities that they can be involved with in youth ministry, young adult ministry, campus ministry? or any other ministries that you're invested in? Mentor ministry. So on a Friday night, there's the middle school youth group, profound conversations and silly games. <laughs> so if you like profound conversations or silly games, you know, and it's a possibility. Um, so yeah, one of our key leaders is relocating to Virginia. So there's a kind of space opening, opening up in the summer. 
Um, similarly, high school. I mean, these are sort of significant commitments, but people find they grow through them as you as you kind of become a big brother big sister to some of these younger kids and you hear their struggles and you resonate with them and you pray with them i mean i just love the fact that one of our volunteers was a pitch student when she's just doing finals um now when a senior went off to college our pit youth worker he's like a senior like three years older was in kind of constant texting conversation to kind of walk her through all the challenges of the first freshers week and finding a church so you have these little friendships and these relationships built that help people through um, the challenging transitions of life. Um, and so we're doing a current series called Running the Race, taking like the marathon metaphor in Hebrews 12 and run the race with endurance, um, the race set up before us. And so trying to build the kind of community that can help the middle schoolers and high schoolers and college kids through the various walls that often culture presents, like quit now, quit now, quit now. They say, no, we're going to persevere. We're going to have our eyes set on Jesus in front of us. So someone who can come alongside and be an encourager at those difficult parts of the race. Because I guess the, the middle and high schoolers are a kind of unique demographic in that the most kind of strategic part of the church because they're going to be the future leaders and they're also the most vulnerable part because culture and friendship and hormones are just like hitting them. So to have that kind of supportive fabric around them, I think is really, really wonderful to see. So, yeah. Great. Okay. Any questions for Alex? I've answered them all. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll be around just uh, watching. Sounds good. Um, so I mentioned earlier that we have this uh, this burgeoning network of mentors that we are, are trying to create, uh, where we want to create we want to craft these intergenerational relationships between more mature members of the congregation and younger members of the congregation. Uh, so Alex is uh, helping to oversee that as well, um, and it's a, a great way to be invested uh, in in the life of the church. If you if you if you have an interest or a passion for uh, mentoring younger generation, um, please do get in touch with me. Or if you want to be mentored. Uh, do get in touch with, with either me or um, Alan Burnett or Alex. Uh, also, special needs ministry is a, is a big uh, area of our congregational life. Um, we have a WINGS class that meets on Sunday. I think it's an acronym for something. Do you know? Winners in God's Sight. Winners in God's Sight. Okay. Um, so you can participate in that ministry on Sunday morning. So they meet. Do you know when they meet? Is it between the services? Nine o'clock. At, no, 9 o'clock. So it's at the 9 o'clock service. Yeah, so uh, if, you, if you're interested in that, if you want to serve as a teacher or as a buddy to one of our special needs uh, members of our congregation, um, you can always get in touch with Christina Carlucci or Dana Kasich, who uh, oversee that ministry. You know, they always yeah. need, like, somebody who can play guitar. Hmm. Like, if you, don't, if you can't be part of the music ministry anyway, uh, they always have somebody who leads music um, once a month or something like that. that might, and if you're an 11 o'clocker, that might be something you do do one Sunday a month or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also the OWLS, which just stands for what? Older, Wiser, Lively Saints. Yeah. Uh, our seniors ministry. Uh, this is a, a team that uh, is invested in the visioning and the organizing of monthly meetings, which are uh, which kind of serve as a seniors lunch club. There's a the hope the hope here is that this this will become it has been to some degree, but it will become more so uh, an outreach to this community. Do you actually know that the the number of elderly persons living in Oakland is one of the highest concentrations in the country? Um, so right around like in our five block radius, there's just this huge number of elderly people, of, of seniors. And so 
uh, there's a great need actually um, for, for outreach in that community. And, and we do think that this team can be that. So uh, I know that Ann Tuft, uh, who's um, one of our non-stipendary priests here at Ascension, one of our liturgical assistants, uh, who oversees this ministry, is very interested in having younger people invested in the ministry. And as I said, a big priority for us is the creation of intergenerational relationships. So if that's at all interesting to you, then I would, I would recommend that you contact Mother Ann. Uh, and then lastly, community groups. Community groups are a, uh, they are probably the central program at our church. Um, when we think about, you know, how do we actually uh, do this Christian life? How do we live it out? Uh, it's always done in smaller increments, smaller community increments than the, the big worship service on Sunday. Uh, the nitty gritty is done in these kind of smaller group contexts. Uh, a guy named Peter Block, who's um, written this really interesting book on the structure of community, says this. The power of the small group cannot be overemphasized. Something almost mystical and certainly mysterious occurs when citizens sit in a small group, for they become more authentic and personal with each other there than in other settings. And that has been my experience. It's been the experience of a great number of people here at Ascension. I would highly encourage you, if you're not invested in a community group, to become invested in one. Please contact me if you are interested. I would love to you know, link you up with one of the existing community groups or talk to you about starting your own in your own neighborhood. Um, I'm real big on geographic proximity for these groups. I think that the, the closer to home you are when you go to one of these groups, the more that your group can focus on your neighborhood context as the sort of center for what you guys are thinking about doing with your group. Uh, and also, the, the more likely it is that you're going to be connected to the people that are actually part of that group because you'll see them more regularly. You'll see them at the grocery store. You know, you'll see them at the CVS, that kind of stuff. All right. Um, Section five, local beyond our walls ministries. Man, I am running right up against the time here. Um, always the way. So um, I mentioned that not all of, our, all of our, our ministries are interior to the life of Ascension, that we have a heavy investment in ministries that go beyond our walls. Uh, and there's, there's uh, several of these that I have listed here. Uh, Jonathan Sewell is responsible for leading several teams to participate in Easton Cooperative Ministries, which, is, uh, which has a ministry to the homeless, a homeless shelter. And uh, you can be invested on the fourth Tuesday of the month in bringing a meal uh, to the homeless or serving a meal to the homeless through that ministry. And I think that's in East Liberty, pretty sure. Uh, and then there's also Shepherd's Heart, which is an Anglican church, uh, which is uh, located... Where? Uh, uptown? Uptown? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's in, it's in Uptown, um, and uh, they, they, they actually serve homeless veterans uh, is, is the center of their ministry. Uh, so Jonathan, Jonathan Sewell also coordinates uh, serving a meal in that context as well. Uh, there's also uh, Casa San Jose. One of, our, um, one of our members, Tracy Madrano, has been heavily involved with the sisters who run that ministry. It's, a, it's an outreach to uh, immigrants in our community. Uh, and there's several, I've listed several opportunities to volunteer there that Tracy has sent to me. There's the uh, Beechwood Elementary School, which is in, in the, the sort of near South Hills. Uh, there's Bridges to the Future Saturday program in Brookline, also in the South Hills. And then the Brashear High School, Jovenes con Propósito, uh, that, is, that, is that is involved in a, a, it's, it's a ministry to a high school uh, that's actually in the South Hills as well. Um, and then there's these rapid response teams that they're, um, that they're wanting to um, to form, or they're wanting to grow. Actually, they they already are formed, but they're they're uh, they're rapid response teams who can respond when a parent is uh, is abducted, not abducted, is 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 uh, is taken away by by ICE. I guess is what the organization is called, the government organization is called. What that what that ends up doing is oftentimes leaving children completely alone. And so these rapid response teams are mobilized in order to take care of the of the kids in that context. And it's not a long term commitment. There's a, there's there's uh, you can kind of come in and come out of that rapid response team. Um, 
So those are ways you can be invested in Casa San Jose, and I've got Tracy's uh, information listed there. Um, there's um, Open Hand Ministry. Um, this is a ministry that a lot of people in our church are, are involved with, uh, and it's it's basically a ministry uh, to the to low income residents in the East End. And the, the the design is to help them to become wealth builders. So not simply to give them a house, right, which they could lose then if they if they um, they, they don't learn better patterns of wealth management, but the idea is actually to help them build healthy patterns of wealth management and, to, and then to also equip them with a, with a house. Uh, so the, the volunteer opportunity that a lot of people are invested with, especially our young adults, uh, is this volunteer opportunity on Saturday mornings uh, where you can go in and help rehab a house. It's a very kind of easy end for community groups and for others who want to be invested in that. So uh, Tim Ralfer is our contact point for that ministry, so um, get in touch with him if you're interested. There's also Circles Ministry, which is actually works together with Open Hand. Uh, and this is, as I said, like um, trying to create, actually generate social capital for these low-income families so that they can build uh, better wealth management habits. Uh, what Circles does is uh, has, it, it builds um, relational connections between uh, people with greater uh, relational and social and financial resources and one of these low-income residents so that you... you um, you actually get really up close and personal and close relationship with these folks over an extended period of time. And it's a really powerful ministry. You learn a lot about and learn, learn compassion, a great deal of compassion for those who are in, uh, in, in poverty situations. Um, and you, you grow and you, you're able to actually do some really good um, in their lives as well. Uh, and then there's lastly, there's Cairo's prison ministry. Uh, and this is a, a ministry that, that uh, ministers in a prison context in western Pennsylvania. Uh, Judy and Ron Yadrick have, um, have seen a lot of lives transformed through this ministry, uh, and so they, they're very passionate about it and heavily invested in it, and please get in touch with them if that is of all, at all interest to you. Uh, and of course, uh, Christ told us that when we visit those in prison, we're actually visiting him, so there is uh, there's a real profound biblical basis for this ministry. Uh, lastly is our internationals outreach team, uh, and this is a ministry that uh, it can sometimes go a little under the radar at Ascension, um, and we're trying to actually increase its, uh, its um, visibility in our common life because it's super important. It's the place where I would say in this past couple of years, we've seen the Holy Spirit work most powerfully. Uh, so we have, you know, uh, Luann Pinchador, who is just an amazing leader in our, in our church, who is really passionate about English as a second language. And so she started these English as a second language classes. Out of that grew Bible studies. And people have actually come to faith through this, through this ministry, lots of people. Uh, so um, there's different ways that you can be invested in that that are listed here on the sheet. So um, if, you, if you have at all uh, any interest in international ministry or teaching English as a second language, or really just frankly seeing the Holy Spirit profoundly at work, that's the place for you. So, uh, gosh, I have two minutes, and I want to talk very briefly about uh, the centrality of vocational holiness for us. So, uh, I don't want you to get the impression, and you may have gotten the impression because I spent so much time with the min- different ministries at Ascension, but I think that's important too, uh, that the main thing we care about is getting you busy on Sunday morning or during the week. But actually, um, we have this profound sense that equipping the saints for ministry in the world and sharing Christ's healing with a broken world is actually about equipping you to do the work that Christ has sent you to do six days of the week, right? Um, so um, there is no holiness that's kind of abstract holiness or that is independent from these other pieces of your life, of independent from parenting or independent from going to your job or independent from you know, your relationships that you're invested in in your life. All of those, uh, those different things that I've just named are part of an overall vocation, 
or a series of vocations in your life. Uh, and that's where God intends to meet you and develop you in, in, in holiness. Um, Tish has this profound uh, line in her book, uh, which if you haven't read, uh, you know, I'm just going to plug that. It's been incredible. You should read the book. Amazing, yeah. phenomenal. I bought it and gave it away as birthday presents all last year. <laughs> the Liturgy of the Ordinary. Liturgy of the Ordinary. There you go. It really, it did. It won the Christianity Today Book Award. You know, I, it's a good book. What can I say? All uh, right, here's what she says in that book. I think it's phenomenal. The Puritans, who talked more about work and vocation than almost any community before or since, articulated a helpful idea that Eugene Peterson later terms vocational holiness. The idea is that we are sanctified, made holy, not in the abstract, but through our concrete vocation. Christian holiness is not a free-floating goodness removed from the world a few feet above the ground. It is specific and in some sense tailored to who we particularly are. We grow in holiness and the honing of our specific vocation. We can't be holy in the abstract. Instead, we become a holy blacksmith or a holy mother or a holy physician or a holy systems analyst. We seek God in and through our particular vocation and place in life. Now, what does that mean? It means that your whole life, you need to see it as a kind of craft. It's not just that you're learning the skills that you need to do your job well. It's that you're learning the craft of honoring God and devoting yourself to God in the specific job that God has given you. And that itself is a kind of habit that needs to be formed over time through practice. Like there's a kind of practice of, of, of constantly devoting yourself to God throughout the course of your day in your particular vocation. Tish's book is, I think, very helpful in guiding us through what that means what the, and kind of what that looks like in concrete ways. Um, so again, highly recommend it. But it's a big thing for us here at Ascension. And, and, and really what this means is rejecting the idea that any work is secular. Okay? There is no such thing as secular. Secular is an invention of the modern period, and we've, we've all kind of bought into it. That like the work that we do doesn't really matter, but actually it matters tremendously. Okay, like it matters tremendously to the kingdom. It's actually the way in which the kingdom is built. If it is done, uh, if the work that we do is devoted to God, uh, the theologian Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary for many years in South India and came back and became a missionary to his his native England, wrote this in a book called Signposts Amid the Rubble. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says, Our faith as Christians is that just as God raised up Jesus from the dead, so will he raise up us from the dead. And that just as all that Jesus had done in the days of his flesh seemed on Easter Saturday to be buried in final failure and oblivion, it was by God's power raised to new life and power again. So all the faithful labor of God's servants, which time seems to bury in the dust of failure, will be raised up, will be found there, transfigured in the new kingdom. Every faithful act of service, every honest labor to make the world a better place, which seemed to have been forever lost and forgotten in the rubble of history, will be seen on that day to have to contributed to the perfect fellowship of God's kingdom. You see, the New Jerusalem is made with the faithful acts that you have done in your vocations. And, and it's not world-changing things, right? The revolution will not be televised, okay? This is, these are small acts done with great love and great attention. And so we want to accompany you, come alongside of you at Ascension and help you think about what would it look like to take these microscopic steps in my work life, in my family life, in my relationships with other people? How could I begin to incarnate, give myself, as Jack Alul said, give myself to the extreme difficulty of incarnating the truth in these vocations? That's what we want to be about here. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where discipleship happens. So we want to do that. One way uh, that I want to suggest to you is... Um, we actually have a, a group here, uh, a community group at Ascension called Omnia Nova, and they've done a ton of work actually um, workshopping with people how to grow in vocational holiness. 
Um, so I talked to Brian Janizek about this, about this today because um, I, I, he had mentioned it to me before and I, I was just really interested to hear more about what it is that they actually do. So uh, each person in the group has an option of doing a workshop that helps them participate more deeply in this reality. They, ask, they, they, they think out loud about some aspect of their vocation that they'd like to see deeper vocational holiness in. And then the, the group actually workshops these questions. Where do you see the kingdom at work already in what you're doing? And how can you participate more deeply in that? How can you lean into that? Um, more heavily? Where do you see areas where your vocation is actually working against the coming of the kingdom? And what could we, what could we think about? How could we brainstorm ways that you might become more faithful to help uh, push against this, um, this, uh, this, the work of darkness, I guess, in your vocation? And then, uh, and then how, what do you personally feel like you need help with in your vocation? So these questions um, end up becoming the source of great, you know, great, great growth for this people who are involved in this group. So this is something that you could think about in your own community group context, maybe workshopping this, and, and the Janizex and the Stouts would be really happy to talk to you about um, how, you, how that could be done um, in your own group. But you could also connect with OmniNova and ask Brian if the group would be open to more members who are interested in this kind of thing. So if this is something that's interesting to you, please do let me know and I'll connect you with Brian. And then lastly, the Janizex are thinking about, you know, opening a workshop like this for the whole church, actually. So we could actually experience this together um, as, a, as a congregation. So, you know, if you're interested in that, please do let me know. I'd like to be able to gauge interest to see, is this something that would, would be helpful in the life of our church? I mean, we did this whole sermon series and retreat around this idea of vocational holiness, right? Being foretaste of the kingdom with Amy Sherman. And it was beautiful and gorgeous. And this might be a great way for us to follow up on that. So if that's, of, if that's of interest to you, let me know. But this is one of the things that we see as, as utterly critical in the life of Ascension. We're not just about, you know, building the church here and the worship service and all these things that we are really important and we really want you to be invested in. We want you to go from here, to be equipped and to be sent from here to, to share Christ's healing with the broken world. So that's all I got for tonight. Um, I, I, I've got to actually pick up my kids. I'm running late. <laughs> so... Uh,
So uh, these are the choir stalls here. Um, if you ever come to the 11 o'clock service, there's almost always people here who are, who are going to be leading us, helping to lead us in worship. Um, and if we pass through here into uh, past the altar rail, this is called the altar rail. Obviously, we, uh, we kneel here to take communion. And this also has, notice, the cluster of grapes, uh, again, to, to remind us of you know, what it is that we're doing. We're, we're being united, grafted into the vine. Um, we're being maintained. We're remaining in Christ by receiving him in the Eucharist. Uh, but also, we're receiving the Eucharist. So, you know, the grapes are appropriate. Um, this is the high altar. Um, there are certain um, tapestries that go on this high altar at all times, except for on Good Friday when they're removed. Uh, there's the fine linen. I don't know if that's it, actually. Down here, you can see it. This is, this is called the frontal, and the frontal is the liturgical color of the season. So right now we're in Eastertide, so it's white. Um, and we've got the wall cross and various candles, which you know, are simultaneously uh, very useful, but also symbolize the light of Christ. Um, these candles are actually, are, are they in the shape of menorahs? Yeah, so that, that's what I thought. I wasn't actually clear on that, but I think, I think that's right. Um, It does have, it does have eight. No, it has. Yeah, so they're not actually menorahs, but they have that same shape. So I'm not sure what the significance is there. Um, any other questions about this area over here? When we call this, this is the sanctuary. Right. When, when people talk about the sanctuary, this is what we call the sanctuary, not the whole building. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself tripping up over that. I call the whole thing the sanctuary sometimes, but this actually is the sanctuary. And again, here you see the grapes that are carved into the wood over here. Um, lots of that kind of stuff. Okay, this mural. Um, this mural is a marvel. So it wasn't original to the building. Um, it was uh, created in... Hold on, I've got it written down. Okay, it's placed in its present position in March 1918. And it is the second largest representation of the Ascension in America. So, and it's on a canvas. And it's on a canvas, unbelievably. Unbelievably. It was restored 30 years ago, so five years before I got, uh, yeah, five years before I got here. It wasn't up there. And if you're in the back, sometimes you might see these lines on it. And I thought there was water damage. And it's, it's the um, chain, the shadow of the chains holding um, the lamps that casts, that casts on it. Hmm. So, yeah, it was totally restored. Did you say that was 40 years ago? 30 years ago. 30. Yeah. And did you say it's the largest representation? Second largest in the country. What's the first? The first is in New York City. Huh. I want to say it's at an Episcopal Church. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, any, any further questions about uh, the nave, the chancel, or the sanctuary? About the art and architecture. Yeah. I don't remember, but they're, they're like 17th century. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> yeah, if you're in the choir and you're trying to watch the organist to know when to start, you are glued on that mirror. And so the guys who are facing this way are looking in that mirror so they can see Gene no matter what. And yeah. So they don't get dirty. The crosses? Oh. Yeah, the crosses. used in procession. That's, a, that's the one that's usually used at the 11 o'clock and is in place usually 
in the middle for nine o'clock, and this one's a smaller dress. That's, uh, is that my, no, that's not the one the kids carry down. When I first got here, we had two crosses in the procession. We just have one. Front and back. Yeah. Now it's just one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the organ, somebody was asking about this a little while ago. We got our organ back last summer after it was gone for a year being refurbished. This is a phenomenal instrument. Organists around the world would like, <gasps> you know. So if you ever want to really hear the story about Ask Jean, we had 68 more pipes added um, after it was um, refurbished. So like those antiphonals in the back, well, the pipes in the back are the antiphonals, but see those um, pipes that are facing straight out? Those are the trumpet ones. They, they were originally installed vertically, hmm. and, which was, they shouldn't have been vertical. So when we had it redone, we had them done right. And so if you tend to sit in the middle and she's waxing eloquent, you'll, you'll hear the music coming <laughs> you, out. You get like beat that. by the music. Yeah, it's incredible. So, but she, or Gary Harger, was, um, he's in the choir and was, uh, chair, chaired the uh, committee that got the whole refurbishing done. And he actually substitutes as an organist sometimes. So either of them would probably love to tell you about the hmm. instrument. Very nice. Anybody else? I have one more question. Sure. I, I can't remember if this is Grant talking about it. Someone talked about it recently. Why the altar, like in some church traditions, the altar is closer, mm-hmm. and why, what dictates the position of the? Yeah. So it's there's uh, a um, an element of of what your churchmanship is like mm-hmm. that goes with that. So number one, if your if your table is out there, it's always a table. So the idea is the table is out among the people mm-hmm. that we're the, the visualization is that we're feasting with the Lord. Right, and the the placement here towards the back of the of the whole, um, uh, what, what is this called? This whole sanctuary. sanctuary. Well, this is the sanctuary. Anyway, the back of the whole sanctuary uh, is is meant to suggest this upward ascent to the mountain of the Lord. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is a, it's a, I guess, a higher church position, as it were, for the altar. Um, and then you, when you rail the altar around, the idea is that you're going to kneel to receive, receive the Lord. So there's a much higher sense of what is happening in the Eucharist, in a sense. Um, that you're, you're, like Christ is literally present in this, uh, in this meal that we're receiving together. Um, so that's, that would be my two cents on that. Any thoughts on that, Stacey? Well, one thing that I thought of earlier that you brought up is if you'll notice, we, as Anglicans, we hold um, the word, the preaching, and the... Um, Eucharist all at the same level and so the altar, the pulpit and the eagle are all on the same level. Yeah, that's cool. So when you're down there, it seems like the pulpit's way up there, but the altar's also way up there. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's really helpful. Thank you. Gabby has a question. Yeah, Gabby. Why are there flags up here? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the right person to answer that question. Um, there's, a Stacey. Of, there's a balance of church and Take it away. It's a balance. We don't, it's like um, this is the Anglican Church flag. It has our, our um, seal on it. Um, and we are, church and state are separate, but we are a part of a state, and we are a part of a church. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. Um, <laughs> here we are, we're in America. We, don't, we, uh, we want to uh, contribute to the, citizen, the citizenship of America. I mean, that's, it's, we want... We want to create, create good citizens. Uh, and so we, you know, we don't reverence that flag, no. but it's there to remind us that we are, in fact, citizens of this country. So, um, anyone else? 
Um, do you know anything about the quilted altarpiece around the corner? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oliver Chapel. <laughs> I don't know much about the Oliver Chapel. Let's walk over there. Look it up in my book. I have I have a copy of that book in my office. <laughs> but this is done by a member of the church. Yeah, and she was like apparently. Oh, look at her. No. Well, she. But this is a church member. And I can't believe her first name. And I want to say Timmy Podner knew her. Timmy. Oh, Timmy's been her. here a long time. Yeah. I am. I'm about to. Yep. This so, drum kit is very important. <laughs> this, it was gifted to us in 1947. <laughs> uh, the drum kit is just—it's just a drum kit um, <laughs> for our contemporary worship. I'm sure it has been blessed by the bishop. I would not doubt that. So this is the, this is the Oliver Chapel. Uh, it is. Do we ever have services here? I guess we do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. For for columbarium, right? For columbarium. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's just start with the columbarium in that case. So this is, right over here, a columbarium. This contains uh, interred ashes of many of the members of our church over the years. So what's really amazing about this is that every Sunday, you confess that you believe in the communion of saints. Here they are. <laughs> you know? uh, so you worship alongside of those who've been worshiping in this church for, you know, over 100 years, which is really great. Is that why there's grapes on it, too? <laughs> there's always grapes. <laughs> These are all branches. This is not nearly as old as the rest of the stuff. Okay, I mean, the columbarium was maybe 15 years old. 1993, I think. Oh, okay, never mind. Okay, not 100 years. They built it and mimicked all of the, um, you know, the woodwork is mimicked. It, I mean, you see those same spires up mm. in, the, in the sanctuary. Yeah. I did not know that. That's, uh, that makes it less formidable. But That's still, why it's so <laughs> 1993. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's so empty. Yeah. But so this, the, um, the earliest <coughs> death is nineteen seventy eight. So he was obviously brought in. I just I just dealt with this yesterday. That's why I know because hmm. um, I'm also a columbarium person. Um, so he must have you know his ashes must have been somewhere else, and hmm. he was brought here. Hmm. Well, there you go. Points during the uh, liturgical year or in services where we interact with. This? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think so. Although um, we are going to have an All Saints service here this this year, and it should probably be right here, honestly. Um, oh, on All Saints. On All Saints Day, not on All and Saints like, Sunday. If we're having a service, yeah. these doors are open. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If there's a service, they are open. Huh. Not just so people who you know have somebody in there can can exit. But, but there, but there is that element too. There is. But I mean, people do come here after the service and you know, like essentially remember. commune with the people that they've lost. So, that is an element of it. Anything else in this space that you have uh, questions about? This is just a cool thing to know. See these, these um, chandeliers here there in the back? Um, when we did the rehab, we did a lot of restoration here uh, a few years ago when we had celebrated 125 years. These were black. We thought they were wrought iron. <laughs> and they were like, trying to clean them and everything. And um, one of the guys that was here dealing with some lighting or whatever on his... He, Whatever, something broke, and he had to bring in somebody else's raise it up to reach things thing. And um, the guy that came in saw us trying to clean this stuff. He goes, "You're not going to get that clean. I got a guy who can do that for you." And I'm West Virginia, 
He cleans brass with a, a, a gun with walnut shells. <laughs> and he went, and they were brass again. So, and, and same with all these things running down the side. We thought they were all black, like the base on the wall is black. It's like made of obsidian. Just kidding. It's all coal dust. Waves of time. But these were black until like three years ago. Yeah. And then several years ago, maybe um, you might know, but one of the, like Jonas Call meets in our space on Sunday evenings. One of the things that they did uh, for years for us was on Mother's, week, Mother's Day weekend, since we're the Mother Church, they would come and do some piece of service for, the, for, the, for Ascension. And they came in and washed all those windows. It's like, oh my goodness, you can see light. <laughs> wow. Um, and that, I mean, it took so much time. You can imagine. It was like up there and squeegee. It was, yeah. Hmm. Well, last room uh, is the sacristy. So let's just pile in there real quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, uh, there's no magic. So in this space, um, basically all the liturgical vestments and um, all the tapestries that we use, uh, all of the, the silver that we use for communion, all of those elements are all in this space. So if you look, oh, sorry guys, move out of the way. <laughs> Stoles and chasubles that we use are all in here. So chasubles. I'll tell you what a chasuble is. It's a, <laughs> wait, hold on, is it in here? Oh, no, it's not in here. Okay, well, I can't show it to you, but uh, chasuble, it looks like a big cape, and uh, it's meant to, um, so you, the, the, where? Oh, yeah, here we go. That's a chasuble. It's like a poncho. That's a chasuble. Yeah, it's exactly like a big poncho. There we go. That's like a big poncho. Um, I'm, sure it, I'm sure it serves some very useful purpose at some point, uh, but of course, then it became like, you know, um, just ornamented with various symbolic uh, elements to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you notice the pomegranates here, uh, we're, we're meant to understand, uh, it's supposed to conjure in our minds the temple, right? And the, these are like the temple vestments that were worn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, the Eucharistic celebrant is always the one who wears this uh, garment. So um, yeah, that's chasuble. Mm-hmm. Um, stoles are in there. Um, stoles are a sign of priestly authority. It's actually a yoke. It's supposed to be a yoke. Uh, it's a heavy weight that we bear, you know, bearing the authority of Christ. Uh, but we are, we are given, we are given to the body uh, to direct and to lead and to guide and to preach the gospel uh, and to, um, to minister the sacraments. That's, that's our, um, that's our remit. So, um, and then uh, these various things in here are albs, which are, uh, it's just the robe that we wear um, on Sunday morning. And again, uh, once upon a time was just what you wore in the ancient world. Uh, but it's become ornamented with various symbolisms of which I don't know what, except for white means purity and, you know, heaven and things like this. Wait, so, who wears the... All the... Who, the poncho? The poncho. The poncho. <laughs> oh, it's the Eucharistic celebrant. It's the one who's actually celebrating the Eucharist that So, do you sometimes wear it? Because I can only picture Jonathan, right. not you. Right. I have... Let's see. I've worn it maybe twice. Okay. Because, uh, actually, Jonathan um, limits the amount that it is worn. Uh, and I, I, I'm not totally sure his, re- his reasoning for that, but he, it's high holy days that it's worn. So mm-hmm. Easter, Christmas, um, probably All Saints. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the other ones are, but anyway. Uh, and through that room are, are various uh, cassocks and um, surplices for 
choir members and for um, lay Eucharistic ministers, that kind of stuff. So, and then in this closet right here, I'll show you. That's okay. You didn't know what I was going to do. I have the magic master skeleton key. I don't have a key to this. That's because we don't trust you. <laughs> okay. And here is where all the Eucharistic vessels are. So this would be all the stuff that we have at the 9 a.m. Oh, great. Now I've messed it up. Okay. Well, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, you don't have the fancy stuff set out for Sunday yet. We have these beautiful, we have these beautiful chalices that we use at the 11 a.m. Some of them were uh, actually. What you gonna do? Where are you gonna, you gonna show me the beautiful one that was original? I don't know which one is original. It's the it's the most ornate one. Oh yeah, the Catholic chalice. Yeah, the Catholic Catholic chalice. So this was given. This Catholic chalice was Catholic chalice, as they call it. Uh, it it uh, it's like old world. Is that one? This is the tall Catholic chalice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. This is this is old world silver, and it's a medieval design uh, given by one of the first members at Ascension. Really cool stuff. So. Um, Every Sunday. We use it on 11 a.m. every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you get glass. It's not like it's bad for you. Glass is great. And the idea behind all this, this richly or whatever was, the God of the universe is worthy of this. He's the one who created beauty. And this is a real quick story, not about our church, but I was in Scotland when Rosalind Chapel. Y'all familiar with that from? What's the movie that the shoot that isn't based in history, but the chalice hunting for the, anyway Rosalind Chapel in Scotland. Are you talking about Da Vinci Code? Thank you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't based in history. That was my only clue. Right. <laughs> Rosalind Chapel, okay, um, in Scotland. Um, it's this little chapel that was fashioned after anyway. So, um, but they were re- replacing the roof, and what they discovered when they took the old roof off was all this art. Incredible carvings and everything that nobody would ever see, but it wasn't there for us. It was there for the glory of God. And I'm like, I want to see this roof. <laughs> you know, when we have to replace one of these 15 rows or something, I want to. I would love to see if there's stuff like that up there. So that's kind of all the. When you see this ornate stuff and everything, we don't get this. We're not part of this. Ah, simple. We're not going to waste money. Yeah. You know, there's always the poor. Right. We take care of them too, but th- that's why it's here, is to, for his, his glory. So uh, I, I, want, I want to also point out that the most ascetical bishop of the 4th century is a guy named John Chrysostom. Um, he railed against the, uh, the, the, his imp- the empress, I forget what her name was. Um, Theodosia. No, it wasn't Theodosia, it was a different one. Um, but uh, but he, he railed against her pomp and splendor. Uh, he, you know, he basically told everybody who slept in an ivory bed that they're going to go to hell. I mean, it was, uh, it was very, he's very severe, okay? Um, but he also wrote many, uh, many texts about liturgical splendor because the whole point is, what is the church doing when we gather? We're participating in the heavenly banquet now. And so what we do with our bodies ought to symbolize that, ought to figure it. Um, and so the, there's, a, there's a beauty and an ornamentation to our worship that it, it actually does remind us of that and help us participate in that. So, um, so... Is it Eudoxia? I think it's Eudoxia. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. All right, let's go back to the, uh, unless anybody has any questions about the sacristy. Okay. Let's uh, head back up to this classroom. That's right. 
Exactly. So, uh, hey, Melita, Melita is the person you want to talk to if you want to be part of the Ultra Guild. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Liturgical. The liturgical puppet. And the liturgical ironing board. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> you, you get the why, servant. Why, why is there a Trinity hymnal over there? Is that from PCA? Um, good, good question. You know, we're we're um, we're not. Uh, we're equal opportunity hymnists, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Injury, like, does it sh- tell a story or something? Or just you know, the, the book didn't, didn't I, was, I was actually hoping the book would reveal some of that stuff, but it, it didn't go into detail about it. It just said that those ones in the clear story level are all memorial windows. Um, so original to the building, but not, um, didn't go into detail about what they are. They're individual saints. Yeah. You know, do, you know which, do you know which saints they are? Are they saints that are just, like, relevant to the person who gave the window? Or? No, no. I mean, but they're historical. Right. You know, like, I mean, there's the woman abbot up there and yeah you have to know who they are there's a book i thought that said who they are well i looked in that i looked in the book that that uh, was written about ascension i didn't see anything in there about it but uh, anyway all right well saints thank you okay let's head back to the classroom Malia, would you mind um turning off the lights on your way all right yeah thank you do you want me to lock uh yeah if you wouldn't mind that would be fantastic if you would do that thank you Yes, the surgical plans, absolutely. Are you going back into the room? Yeah, we're going back in the room. It's always an education, even for me, when I walk into that place. There's just so much uh, thoughtfulness about the architecture and the placement of different things. Okay, um, as you're coming back to your seats, does everybody have one of these? Has everybody got a, one of the three handouts? Huh? The one that says Church of the Ascension Vision and Values. What time is it? Oh, wow, that was long. That was not how much time I planned for that. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll have to move faster. All right. Um, so we're actually we're actually running pretty far behind schedule. That's just fine. I mean, I'm glad. I'm super glad that uh, that there was such a thorough exploration of the sanctuary. Uh, it's a very meaningful space, and we worship there every Sunday. So I think it actually enriches worship for us to know like the the kind of attention that's gotten in detail that's gone into the design of that place. Um, but, so just real briefly, I want to just kind of um, look at Ascension, Ascension's uh, mission statement and our, our vision and values and just try to um, unpack some of that a little bit. Because I think, you know, ultimately the purpose of tonight is to introduce you to our common life here at Ascension and to talk about, you know, what does it look like to participate in that common life using your gifts. So if you want to know what our common life is about, you can look at our mission statement. We are a worshiping community, equipping God's people, sharing Christ's healing with a broken world. 
So we are a worshiping community that we, wor we worship distinctively in an evangelical Anglican style. Uh, and and the, the idea of, that, of those, putting those two words together is that we are, uh, we are people who proclaim the gospel week in and week out. Our preaching is always oriented towards the proclamation of Jesus Christ. So we're evangelical in that sense. But we're Anglican in the sense that we participate in a very distinctive tradition of worship. And we, we have a, uh, you know, obviously anybody who comes into our worship service understands that we are deeply liturgical. Um, we value excellence in our, in our liturgy. Uh, we, we value excellent preaching. We value um, excellent music. So we strive for that in various ways. We, we strive to have blended worship in both of our services. So there's a contemporary element of all of our worship, that, and there's traditional elements to all of our worship. Um, you'll notice even at the 9 a.m. where the focus is contemporary music, we use hymns uh, and, and, and also arrangements of the psalms and things like this uh, to, to orchestrate the music. So there's a, a kind of a, a blending of new and old in that. Um, and we're, we're deeply intergenerational in our musical styles and, and in our worship styles. So there's, there's some new and there's some old. Uh, so that, th these are all kinds of elements of, of what it means to be a worshiping community here at Ascension. We're also um, devoted to equipping God's people, and we do this in various ways. Uh, we, have a, we have a really profound focus on discipleship here at Ascension. Um, we don't want people just to be like, kind of cast adrift, right? You come to worship and then you disappear into the ether, and you come back next week. We don't want that to be what our, life, what our common life together is like. So we, we want you to be connected to community. We also want to equip you to, to live out your vocations in the world uh, and to do so in a way that honors God and is devoted to God. Um, and so we have, we have classes that facilitate that. Uh, we, we have very specific, like, targeted classes. Like, we have marriage enrichment courses. We have this How We Love course that's being offered right now. We have uh, Financial Peace University, which is dedicated to helping you get your finances on track. Um, and we, we have, you know, a, a variety of things like this course, the, you know, the Understanding Anglicanism course. Uh, every, you know, about once a month, once every six weeks, I will teach a class on Scripture. Okay, so I, I want to, you know, introduce us to the, the books of Scripture that we're reading in the lectionary readings on Sunday. Um, so that we have a better understanding of that. And we also, you know, we equip community group leaders with, uh, with questions based on the scripture readings each week that are informed by the sermons that we're preaching. So we, our, our design here is to really equip God's people um, for, uh, for service in the world. We also, you know, a very new thing is we're, we're creating a, a network of mentor relationships between, uh, to facilitate intergenerational relationships, right? To resource the wisdom of those who are more mature among us for those who are younger among us. Um, so those kind of intergenerational relationships are also part of that equipping ethos. Um, so it's, it's a big piece of who we are. We, are, we, we see ourselves explicitly as disciples of Christ. Uh, and, and so we're devoted to growing and progressing in that discipleship. And we believe that every Christian is called into ministry by virtue of their baptism. So we have a, a profound focus on lay ministry. And we'll see that in just a minute as we turn to the actual ministries of Ascension and all the different places where you can plug in. You'll see there's just an, an, really an overwhelming array of them that um, we're inviting you in to serve uh, to service in. Um, and we want you to serve really where, uh, where you feel passionate, where you feel like your, your gifts uh, are a good fit and will be most you know, um, uh, well used to the service of God and the service of the kingdom, the service of the church. Um, we have that profound emphasis on, on lay ministry. Uh, and we also exist to share Christ's healing with a broken world. Um, the Great Commission calls us to share Christ um, with the world. It, it calls us to make disciples of all nations. So we want to be people who are actively about the business of sharing our faith with others. We want to do that in word and in deed. 
We believe in serving the city. We have lots of ministries outside of the walls of our parish. We have connections with lots of different ministries, especially in the east end of Pittsburgh. But we also support international missionaries. And we want to equip you to serve God and be devoted to God in your, your, the ordinary callings of your life. I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're a parent, whether you're uh, you know, uh, a systems analyst, whether you're um, you know, a teacher, Whatever it is, however you are serving Christ in the world, we want to equip you to do that, and we want to send you to do that, uh, and to support you and accompany you as you do that. Uh, so any questions about the, um, the mission statement or kind of that overview of the life of Ascension? That was pretty quick, but we've got to move. Um, if there's no questions, then what we'll do is we'll turn to the spiritual gifts inventory, um, which I, I gave you, and we'll take... Maybe uh, it's not long. It's only uh, you know, two pages, essentially, and you've got to fill out the third page. Uh, so I think we should be able to finish it in maybe uh, 15, 20 minutes. So why don't we take that time to do that? And, and really, my, my goal here is to give you a kind of introduction to spiritual gifts. If you've never thought about this before, uh, this may surprise you or it may confirm what you already have suspected is the case. Um, but either way, um, I'm, very, I'm very available, um, moving on from here, to talk to you about it. So if you, if you realize something about yourself through the taking of this test, I'd love to sit down and have coffee with you and talk about what might it look like to actually use these gifts in the church, in, this, in the service of Christ in the world. So um, let's just take 15, 20 minutes and, uh, and go through this test.
Just go through step four.
Anybody need more time? How are we doing? Close? Yeah. Okay, anybody um, Anybody want to share their results? I mean, there's no pressure. You don't want to share your results, but um, anyone feel inclined to do so? Gabby. If you want to. <laughs> Gives you more gravitas. Hello, I'm Gabby. Hi, Gabby. <laughs> All right, so my first gift summers I helped organize like the entire ministry for the children's sleepaway camp um, so I think that's like really good visual for that um, helps I did friends life for a year and a summer at my college which is all about helping the people on your floor and in your building um, so that and then leadership um, so I started doing youth or children's ministry last year and took on like the like the teacher role halfway through the year so I think that's an example of Excellent. Thank you. Anyone else? Again, no pressure, but if anybody else wants to share. Okay. Um, I'll share mine. Uh, so mine were teaching knowledge and encouragement, which is not a surprise to me at all. Um, teaching and knowledge uh, kind of manifest themselves in similar ways, but um, I, I do think that God has equipped me with a certain facility with memorizing texts so um that that has that has been of, of assistance to me at various points uh and i and i love to teach i really do it's one of my favorite things uh, encouragement is an interesting one um and i think that basically what god has enabled me to do is to really see um what a person is doing well and to promote that like not just with that person to encourage them in that thing that they're doing well, but also to kind of broadcast it so that other people can see it too. So um, anyway, um, <clears throat> like I said, if you are at all interested in uh, exploring a little bit deeper um, or figuring out how this, how this might translate into ministry here at Ascension, I would love to explore that with you. Please feel free to send me an email and I'd love to sit down with you. Um, 
In the last uh, half hour, I want to turn, um, number one, to the ministries at Ascension and the ministry of your vocation and growth in vocational holiness. Um, so the ministries at Ascension, uh, you can see this is like five pages. So there is a lot to do and to be done at Ascension. Um, a lot of ways that you can be invested and, and plugged in. And so what I've done is basically try to diagram those uh, in six different categories. Uh, it's, I didn't invent that. It's actually on the website. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I drew it all together, and I added the contact information, which was difficult. <laughs> so, um, so we've got this first category of Sunday morning teams. Uh, that includes the Altar Guild, which uh, you met Melita already. And uh, the Altar Guild prepares the church for worship services. And as I said, it is very guild-like. You actually do learn a lot. You learn all the names of the things that you're touching and handling, and you learn why we set things up the way we do. And, uh, and what the symbolism of it is. And so there's lots of really cool things that you learn as part of that team, and it really enriches your worship experience. So uh, there's three uh, captains to that team, Susan Bailey, Melita Carter, and Tissy Forsyth, and you can contact any of them if you want to get involved there. Um, a lot of that work is done on Saturday mornings as a kind of FYI, um, but sometimes during the week as well. Obviously, Melita was here tonight. Um, there's also the greeter ministries. Uh, and, you know, Marilyn was talking about this earlier. And I think it's a really crucial thing that people experience when they come into Ascension is that this is a really warm church. Uh, and it's because we actually have a lot of intentionality around that. We, um, we appoint people to, like, serve in that capacity. Um, so, you know, we, we discovered actually that, there, that our, our hospitality hours after, after the, each service were, were, were sagging a bit in this respect, that people were kind of, you know, they, they were standing off in the corner, maybe not getting greeted or whatever. So we actually appointed hospitality captains for those hours, right? That these are, there are different ways that you can be involved in this kind of greeter ministry uh, that is a really crucial piece of, of uh, the life of Ascension and making it a warm and welcoming place. Um, Usher, uh, the Usher ministry is very similar to the greeter ministry uh, in some ways, uh, although it has very distinct tasks that are associated with it. Distributing bulletins, taking up the offerings, and other kinds of logistical uh, duties that are associated with the service uh, that actually happen during the worship services. Um, very important um, points of contact for people as they come into the sanctuary, right? As they're, you know, you, they're, they're being greeted, they're given a bulletin, and welcomed into the space, welcomed into the service, and, and shown a place where they can sit. You know, sometimes when you walk into ser- to a service, if it's really full, it can feel really intimidating. Where do I actually sit? Well, ushers help you know, find that place for people. Um, so again, it's a very, very strongly greeting-oriented ministry. So if you have that kind of um, ability to make people feel at home or be hospitable to folks, then that, that would be a great place for you to plug in. Um, similarly, I mean, it's like, look at this. We have three in a row, the welcome table, right? Uh, this, this is a table that's set apart actually to greet newcomers, right? And we, we give them a gift. Every newcomer that comes in, we give them a gift. So the person who uh, staffs that table um, will, will be in, invested in, you know, a further line of, uh, of welcoming and greeting hospitality to guests uh, and answering any kind of questions that they might have about the church. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, those first four serve on, in a monthly capacity. Hmm. So helpful. like in a quarter you would serve for one month, and that's really, really good. You, and if you can't be there, I mean, get a sub or something. It's great because you actually get to know people's names. You have that reinforcement each time. And, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very good. Um, the next team is uh, the team of Christopher's and Acolytes. And you notice, uh, if you come to the 11 a.m., you notice we have a procession at the beginning of the service. Uh, and the procession is led by a cross and two uh, torches. And the, the torches are carried by acolytes. The person who carries the cross is called a crucifer. 
uh, and they lead this procession. They're followed by the choir, by lay Eucharistic ministers, uh, and then by the clergy. And the celebrant kind of uh, picks up the rear, okay? So the person who's celebrating the Eucharist. Um, so in that procession at the beginning, the, the, there is a team that actually staffs the, um, the acolytes and the crucifer rolls. So um, that, that's a team that's composed both of youth, usually the, the youth are acolytes, uh, and the crucifer can either be a youth or an adult. So if that's at all interesting to you, um, being involved in the service in that way. Uh, and, you know, actually there, there's, um, there's actually potentially two points of procession in the service uh, during high holy seasons like Eastertide. We, uh, we actually process the gospel out during the gospel reading. So you may, you may have noticed that. Um, so the crucifer will also lead that procession as well. Um, we've also got readers and chalice bearers. So you notice, you know, um, that the Old Testament and the, uh, the, the epistle reading from the New Testament are almost always done by laypersons. Uh, and, and the reason for that is we, we want actually uh, the, the, the body to be invested in the reading, reading of Scripture, the proclamation of Scripture. Um, so that those roles are, um, are are done on a rotation. Again, I don't know if it's monthly or there's not really any rhyme or reason to it. That's my choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't. Uh, but you don't serve by the month. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like I tend to bear chalice once a month, and I'll read once a quarter. Yeah. So we also have lay Eucharistic ministers that that bear the chalice, uh, and this is an this is an incredibly important role. Uh, the priests are always the ones who, who are bread bearers, but the, the chalices are, are, um, are borne by laypersons usually, almost always. Um, and so the person who oversees that ministry, again, that happens on a rotation, and that ministry is overseen by Jay Gilmer. Uh, there's also a rotation on prayers of the people. So you notice that there's this point in the service where, uh, where there's, there's intercessions offered on behalf of the body, like the universal global body of Christ, and uh, we pray for, uh, for justice in the country. We pray for our leaders. We pray for all clergy. We pray for, uh, the, the, um, for justice to be done in the nation. I think I mentioned that one already. Uh, we pray for specific missions that, uh, that Ascension is involved with. Uh, that's actually kind of a new feature in our, in our intercessory prayer, but it's a really important one to highlight those ministries that we have an investment in, both financially and otherwise. Um, and then we pray for all those who are sick, um, all those who are um, who have been injured in some way. We pray for we pray, and we pray for the dead. Uh, we pray for those who have gone on to be with the Lord. So all of those all of those prayers are offered up on behalf of the body, and because they're offered up on behalf of the body, they're also offered by a member of the body. So that's a, that's a, usually a lay role. Almost always, again, a lay person uh, has that responsibility. So if that's of interest to you, if you love to pray, if you love to craft prayers specifically, that's uh, that's. A great role for you to be invested in, and then lastly, security. So there's, you know, this is a big building, a big plant, and so we uh, we need to make sure that various offices and all these other places are secure, uh, because you know we have we have vulnerable people in this building. Um, so that team is really a crucial piece of making sure that things are as they are, as they should be on Sunday morning. The second uh, group of of uh, things to be invested with, the second group of teams, is the music and the arts team. So uh, this is still Sunday morning to some degree. Uh, but not entirely. Uh, actually, I guess it is entirely. Yeah, this is entirely Sunday mornings as well. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that's that's a good point. Um, although they are kind of they're, they're drawn from these Sunday morning teams, right? So, um, so there's a 9 a.m. worship team. Uh, again, our 9, our 9 a.m. Uh, worship is uh, mostly dedicated to contemporary style, but we have uh, lots of hymnic elements, um, 
to this. We 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 often uh, will will sing psalms that have uh, been been set to new music or ancient hymns that have been set to new music. Um, and we have we have people who play a variety of instruments. We've had cello, we've had drums, we've had piano, guitar, on down the line. So if you have any kind of facility with music or you like to sing, this would be a great thing to get invested in. Uh, same thing at the 11 a.m. Uh, there's contemporary music there and opportunities to get invested in that. Uh, there's also the 11 a.m. choir. Hannah can tell you a little bit about that. Yes. So I've only been attending Ascension since December, and Jean came up to me, and, or I don't remember who I was. Oh, I was talking to Dan, um, Ruth's husband, Dan Hartley. Dan Hartley, yeah. And he was in his choir room, and I was like, there's a choir here? Mm-hmm. So he was like, do you sing? We need altos. <laughs> and I, I'm not, a, I'll be honest, I'm not a great singer, but I can add volume to the alto section, and I can sing on tune. And if that is you, if you love to sing, even if you think you're not good enough, you are good enough for our choir. Amen. There you go. And it's just such a joy to yeah. like be friends with people that I wouldn't have otherwise met. And Jean is like, she's like a pastor in her own right. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great mm. time together. For my money, there is no worship like the choir singing at the back of the nave. That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. So high point for me on Sunday mornings. Um, Okay, uh, uh, along with uh, these different roles that in, in being invested in the musical worship of the church, there is this incredibly important ministry of the sound desk. Uh, so we have these microphones, and they're plugged into these kind of sound boxes, and uh, the sound desk regulates the volumes, basically. So uh, if that is not uh, well-staffed, there is chaos that ensues. So it's a very important role. Uh, you don't actually have to have any native facility or background training in running a sound desk, there's on-the-job training available. Uh, and we have great need at the 11 a.m. specifically. So if, you, uh, if that sounds at all interesting to you, uh, please do get in touch Lots with Gene Cohn. when there's errors because there's right. new people yeah. Just, yeah. There it is. Lots of grace, on-the-job training. What more could you ask for, <laughs> honestly? Um, there's also special music that sometimes uh, is featured on Sunday morning. Um, and so we welcome vocalists, musicians with various instrumental skills. Uh, that's, again, Gene, Gene Cohn is in charge of that. But you've, you've probably heard this. I mean, uh, man, um, on Good Friday, who came to the Good Friday service? How about Andy Cohn playing Spiegel and Spiegel? Oh, my gosh. That was unbelievable. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is really what we're talking about. Uh, just, you know, the opportunities to, to um, help the congregation enter into a meditative moment in the, in, in the midst of worship. Um, it's really, really a beautiful opportunity if you have musical talent in that respect. Then uh, lastly, uh, the children's choir. If anybody uh, here has children that are of that age, um, it's a wonderful way for kids to serve. Uh, mostly at the 11 a.m., but occasionally also at the 9 a.m. Uh, the third category would be the congregational care team. Um, so this is a, a wide-ranging group of, of, uh, of teams that are really devoted to um, taking care of the needs of the body. Um, so we, we call this team congregational care as opposed to pastoral care to make it clear that the body needs to be mobilized and resourced uh, to, to actually do this work. You know, we've got two full-time equivalent priests on staff. We can't handle all the pastoral care needs in this congregation. Um, and we wouldn't want to. I mean, we, it's, it's actually a privilege. It's a great privilege for us to be able to minister to people, and we actually want to invite you into that work um, yourselves to, to actually care for the body. So there's, uh, there's great ways you can be invested in that. Number one is um, altar prayer on Sunday mornings. I mentioned that when we were in the Gordon Chapel, but basically we have prayer ministers who every Sunday um, 
Um, and you don't serve every Sunday. You serve on a rotation, again, like most of these teams um, that, that have something to do with Sunday morning. But these teams are there um, to meet people where they are when they're coming from communion, um, people who are you know, deeply grieving or hurting or, or, um, or ill in some way, um, who desperately need prayer. These are, these are the folks who are the front line of prayer for, um, for all these different folks who are coming through and receiving communion. It's a really beautiful ministry and a really powerful one that meets people where they are. And there is training. And we pray for each other. Yeah. Or I, I'm not on that team anymore. I'm not. I can't go on Saturdays anymore. But there's lots of, of prayer for the prayer ministers by the prayer ministers. Um, Are you talking about the prayer practicum? Uh, yeah. Why don't you say more about that? So on a monthly, so probably ten times out of the year, there's what's called a prayer practicum, and that's so there's. So about ten times a year, there, on, a, on a monthly basis, there's a um, a prayer practical, which is a teaching. But the teaching always involves um, practicing what you've been taught, so that you're practicing on each other. Do you attend Rachel regularly? She might be able to tell you a little more. Okay. Specifically, Rachel, say more about the prayer practicum. I'm gonna bring this over to you real quick. Who leads the prayer practicum? Uh, Diane Settlemeyer. Um, she's fabulous. She's been doing this for a really long time. She's a person of incredible grace, and uh, I learned from her, a lot from her. Um, yeah, prayer practicums are beautiful. Every time I go, I really am glad I went. Um, you really get to know the other people who come in a deep way. It's usually only a handful of people, like five to ten. Um, and learn a lot about the ways the Holy Spirit moves in people's lives, both in in our own lives as well as testimonies from other places, teachings from other places, um, and get to pray for each other, as, as um, Stacy mentioned. Um, and Sunday mornings on the prayer team, I, th- I think it's one of the most special things I get to do at Ascension because um, you really hear people's hearts. It's very brief. They mention something, a sentence or two, um, but then you get to listen to God together, and he acts. And if you want to see the Holy Spirit do things in people's lives, it's a great way to do it. So, yeah. Well, who needs a better sales pitch than that? That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Stacey, for that. Um, there's also um, an intercessory prayer list that you can be part of here at Ascension. We have a lot of prayer requests that come through, and we have a team of intercessors that receive these and, and faithfully pray for them. So that's an important way you can be involved as well. Um, there, uh, I mentioned uh, when we were looking at the ombre, remember that we keep the, Euchari- the consecrated Eucharistic reserved elements there uh, in, in order to bring them to uh, members of the body who can't, for whatever reason, be at church. Uh, we have, it's, we, it says lay Eucharistic ministry here, but I think we actually call it lay Eucharistic visitors. So this is a ministry you can be trained for, and then you can go, um, you can actually go visit people who are, you know, they're shut-ins or they're elderly and can't get here or who are sick and, you know, at a hospital or whatever and just need communion brought to them. Um, it's a really rich ministry. Everyone who does it, um, they, 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 you know, they talk about how significant it is, what a significant ministry it is. Because you, you actually get to be present with someone who's, who's weak and, and um, who really needs uh, the, the company and presence of the body. So um, it's a beautiful way to be involved in a ministry. Uh, there's also uh, various meal ministries that, that the church uh, engages in. So, you know, people at various stages of life often, you know, have an, a great need to have meals brought to them. So people who are sick or bereaved, people who need help in some other way, new moms. So um, all these different, uh, these 
um, people are often in great need of, of food. So uh, Jill Shook has taken the lead on the administrative side of this, and she does a great job reaching out to anybody who has been reported as needing a meal. And, and then there's a team of people who actually cook those meals and bring them. So I've done that a couple times. Uh, I know, Stacey, you've done that. Uh, and it's a really wonderful time. You actually get to go in and visit with these people and you know, get to hear about how they are and minister to, minister to them a bit while you bring them the meal, which is a really cool thing. Uh, and then lastly, uh, the caregiver ministry, which is we have a lot of people in our congregation who are, you know, they, they have special needs children or they're taking care of a, of a sick um, elderly parent or something like that. Um, and they're, they're just, they're, they're exhausted and they're discouraged and they need, um, they need help. So um, this ministry really exists to help those people uh, to not feel so alone, honestly. So it's, it's a matter of, of sitting with them, of, of, being, of accompanying them, of being present to them. Not trying to solve their problems, you know, but just really listening, being, being someone who is able to sit with them. So uh, it requires, um, you know, patience and it requires the, the ability to sit in the midst of pain, which I think is it's tough for a lot of people. But uh, it's, it's a great skill to grow in, honestly, if you're a Christian, because that's, that's actually our calling. That's what the incarnation is, is like God, God dwelling with us in the midst of our sorrow and brokenness. And that's actually what we're called to be for each other. We can't solve each other's problems, but we can be present to one another just as Christ is present to us. So that caregiver ministry is a really important one. Okay, uh, church ministries team. Uh, these are the kind of nuts and bolts of the, uh, this, the architectonic structures, as it were, of Ascension's ministry life. So number one, children's ministry. Uh, hey, look who it is. Alex Banfield Hicks, everyone. Alex, why don't you come up here and introduce yourself? Good on you, man. Way to come. I appreciate it. I'm glad you didn't come like an hour ago because we were in the maze and you were like, where is everyone? Hey, go ahead, introduce yourself. I'd like to hear your name, uh, that, uh, how long you've been here, areas that you oversee in ministry, in ministry life, and then what your favorite thing about working at Ascension is. Uh, who's preceded me? Who's been good? Uh, <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone, pretty much everyone was amazing. Stacy was great. So my name is Alex Banfield Hicks, and I've been here since July 2015, so pushing three years. Um, in terms of responsibilities, uh, there's the Friday night middle school youth group. Um, so 12, 13, 14 year olds and profound conversations and silly games and friendship building. Um, and then on a Sunday night, there's the high school youth group. So more profound conversations, less silly, well, equally silly games. Um, great music. But great music, youth led music team who do really well. Um, and then in the summer, launching a new campus ministry. And in fact, there's going to be a little prayer gathering in Cathy, the Cathedral of Learning, on June, uh, uh, June the 10th, Monday Sunday, calendars. June the 10th. So that's when Leah Hornfeck is going to be joining us with the CCO. Um, so that's going to be exciting. And then um, helping Danielle with uh, the monthly Compline. So kind of a gathering for the glamorous hip 20-somethings and food and fellowship and classy liturgy and historic spaces. Um, but I guess in all that, just wanting to be building teams that develop leaders that the church needs and that the world needs. And uh, I'm excited to be part of this team. Since I have you up here, mm. why don't you tell them opportunities that they can be involved with in youth ministry, young adult ministry, campus ministry? or any other ministries that you're invested in? Mentor ministry. So on a Friday night, there's the middle school youth group, profound conversations and silly games. <laughs> so if you like profound conversations or silly games, you know, and it's a possibility, um, 
So, yeah, one of our key leaders is relocating to Virginia. So there's a kind of space opening, opening up in the summer. Um, similarly, high school. I mean, these are sort of significant commitments, but people find they grow through them. As you, as you kind of become a big brother, big sister to some of these younger kids and you hear their struggles and you resonate with them and you pray with them. I mean, I just love the fact that one of our volunteers was a pitch student when she's just doing finals. Um, now, when a senior went off to college, our pit youth worker, who's like a senior, like three years older, was in kind of constant texting conversation to kind of walk her through all the challenges of the first freshers week and finding a church. So you have these little friendships and these relationships built that help people through um, the challenging transitions of life. Um, and so we're doing a current series called Running the Race, taking like the marathon metaphor in Hebrews 12 and run the race with endurance. Um, the race set up before us and so trying to build the kind of community that can help the middle schoolers and high schoolers and college kids through the various walls that often culture presents like quit now quit now quit now but say no we're going to persevere we're going to have our eyes set on Jesus in front of us so someone who can come alongside and be an encourager and those difficult parts of the race because I guess the the middle and high schoolers are a kind of unique demographic in that the most kind of strategic part of the church because they're going to be the future leaders and they're also the most vulnerable part because culture and friendship and hormones just like hitting them. So to have that kind of supportive fabric around them, I think is really, really wonderful to see. So, yeah. Great. Okay. Any questions for Alex? I guess I've answered okay. them all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be around just uh, watching Sounds good. Um, so I mentioned earlier that we have this uh, this burgeoning network of mentors that we are are trying to create, uh, where we want to create we want to craft these intergenerational relationships between more mature members of the congregation and younger members of the congregation. Uh, so Alex is uh, helping to oversee that as well, um, and it's a, a great way to be invested uh, in in the life of the church. If you if you if you have an interest or a passion for uh, mentoring younger generation, um, please do get in touch with me. Or if you want to be mentored. Uh, do get in touch with, with either me or um, Alan Burnett or Alex. Uh, also, special needs ministry is a, is a big uh, area of our congregational life. Um, we have a WINGS class that meets on Sunday. I think it's an acronym for something. Do you know? Winners in God's Sight. Winners in God's Sight. Okay. Um, so you can participate in that ministry on Sunday morning. So they meet, do you know when they meet? Is it between the services? At 9 o'clock. No, at 9 o'clock. So it's at the 9 o'clock service. Yeah, so uh, if, you, if you're interested in that, if you want to serve as a teacher or as a buddy to one of our special needs uh, members of our congregation, um, you can always get in touch with Christina Carlucci or Dana Kasich, who um, oversee that ministry. You know, they always yeah. need, like, somebody who can play guitar. Hmm. Like, if you, don't, if you can't be part of the music ministry anyway, uh, they always have somebody who leads music um, once a month or something like that. that might, and if you're an 11 o'clocker, that might be something you do do one Sunday a month or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also the OWLS, which just stands for what? Older, Wiser, Lively Saints? Yeah. Uh, our seniors ministry. Uh, this is a, a team that uh, is invested in the visioning and the organizing of monthly meetings, which, are, uh, which kind of serve as a seniors lunch club. There's a, the, hope, the hope here is that this, this will become, it has been to some degree, but it will become more so uh, an outreach to this community. Do you actually know that the, the number of elderly persons living in Oakland is one of the highest concentrations in the country? Um, so right around like in our five block radius, there's just this huge number of elderly people, of seniors. And so 
uh, there's a great need actually um, for, for outreach in that community. And, and we do think that this team can be that. So uh, I know that Ann Tuft, uh, who's um, one of our non-stipendary priests here at Ascension, one of our liturgical assistants, uh, who oversees this ministry, is very interested in having younger people invested in the ministry. And as I said, a big priority for us is the creation of intergenerational relationships. So if that's at all interesting to you, then I would, I would recommend that you contact Mother Ann. Uh, then lastly, community groups. Community groups are a, uh, they are probably the central program at our church. Um, when we think about, you know, how do we actually uh, do this Christian life? How do we live it out? Uh, it's always done in smaller increments, smaller community increments than the, the big worship service on Sunday. Uh, the nitty gritty is done in these kind of smaller group contexts. Uh, a guy named Peter Block, who's um, written this really interesting book on the structure of community, says this. The power of the small group cannot be overemphasized. Something almost mystical and certainly mysterious occurs when citizens sit in a small group, for they become more authentic and personal with each other there than in other settings. And that has been my experience. It's been the experience of a great number of people here at Ascension. I would highly encourage you, if you're not invested in a community group, to become invested in one. Please contact me if you are interested. I would love to you know, link you up with one of the existing community groups or talk to you about starting your own in your own neighborhood. Um, I'm real big on geographic proximity for these groups. I think that the, the closer to home you are when you go to one of these groups, the more that your group can focus on your neighborhood context as the sort of center for what you guys are thinking about doing with your group. Uh, and also, the, the more likely it is that you're going to be connected to the people that are actually part of that group because you'll see them more regularly. You'll see them at the grocery store. You know, you'll see them at the CVS, that kind of stuff. All right. Um, Section five, local beyond our walls ministries. Man, I am running right up against the time here. Um, always the way. So um, I mentioned that not all of, our, all of our, our ministries are interior to the life of Ascension, that we have a heavy investment in ministries that go beyond our walls. Uh, and there's, there's uh, several of these that I have listed here. Uh, Jonathan Sewell is responsible for leading several teams to participate in East End Cooperative Ministries, which, is, uh, which has a ministry to the homeless, a homeless shelter. And uh, you can be invested on the fourth Tuesday of the month in bringing a meal uh, to the homeless or serving a meal to the homeless through that ministry. And I think that's in East Liberty, pretty sure. Uh, and then there's also Shepherd's Heart, which is an Anglican church, uh, which is uh, located... Where? Uh, uptown? Uptown? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's in, it's in Uptown, um, and uh, they, they, they actually serve homeless veterans uh, is, is the center of their ministry. Uh, so Jonathan, Jonathan Sewell also coordinates uh, serving a meal in that context as well. Uh, there's also uh, Casa San Jose. Uh, one, of our, um, one of our members, Tracy Medrano, has been heavily involved with the sisters who run that ministry. It's, a, it's an outreach to uh, immigrants in our community. Uh, and there's several, I've listed several opportunities to volunteer there that Tracy has sent to me. There's the uh, Beachwood Elementary School, which is in, in the, the sort of near South Hills. Uh, there's Bridges to the Future Saturday program in Brookline, also in the South Hills. And then the Brashear High School, Jovenes con Propósito, uh, that, is, that, is that is involved in a, a, it's, it's a ministry to a high school uh, that's actually in the South Hills as well. Um, and then there's these rapid response teams that they're, um, that they're wanting to um, to form, or they're wanting to grow. Actually, they they already are formed, but they're they're uh, they're rapid response teams who can respond when a parent is uh, is abducted, not abducted, is 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 uh, is taken away by by ICE. I guess is what the organization is called, the government organization is called. What that what that ends up doing is oftentimes leaving children completely alone. And so these rapid response teams are mobilized in order to take care of the of the kids in that context. And it's not a long term commitment. There's a, there's there's a, you can kind of come in and come out of that rapid response team. Um, 
So those are ways you can be invested in Casa San Jose, and I've got Tracy's uh, information listed there. Um, there's um, Open Hand Ministry. Um, this is a ministry that a lot of people in our church are, are involved with, uh, and it's it's basically a ministry uh, to the to low income residents in the East End. And the, the the design is to help them become wealth builders. So not simply to give them a house, right, which they could lose then if they if they um, they, don't, they don't learn better pattern, patterns of wealth management. But the idea is actually to help them build healthy patterns of wealth management and, to, and then to also equip them with a, with a house. Uh, so the, the volunteer opportunity that a lot of people are invested with, especially our young adults, uh, is this volunteer opportunity on Saturday mornings uh, where you can go in and help rehab a house. It's a very kind of easy end for community groups and for others who want to be invested in that. So uh, Tim Ralfer is our contact point for that ministry. So um, get in touch with him if you're interested. There's also Circles Ministry, which is actually works together with Open Hand. Uh, and this is, as I said, like um, trying to create, actually generate social capital for these low-income families so that they can build uh, better wealth management habits. Uh, what Circles does is uh, has, it, it builds um, relational connections between uh, people with greater uh, relational and social and financial resources and one of these low-income residents so that you... you um, you actually get really up close and personal and close relationship with these folks over an extended period of time. And it's a really powerful ministry. You learn a lot about and learn, learn compassion, a great deal of compassion for those who are in, uh, in, in poverty situations. Um, and you, you grow and you, you're able to actually do some really good um, in their lives as well. Uh, and then there's lastly, there's Cairo's prison ministry. Uh, and this is a, a ministry that, that uh, ministers in a prison context in western Pennsylvania. Uh, Judy and Ron Yadrick have, um, have seen a lot of lives transformed through this ministry, uh, and so they, they're very passionate about it and heavily invested in it, and please get in touch with them if that is of all, at all interest to you. Uh, and of course, uh, Christ told us that when we visit those in prison, we're actually visiting him, so there is, uh, there's a real profound biblical basis for this ministry. Uh, lastly is our internationals outreach team, uh, and this is a ministry that uh, it can sometimes go a little under the radar at Ascension, um, and we're trying to actually increase its, uh, its um, visibility in our common life because it's super important. It's the place where I would say in this past couple of years, we've seen the Holy Spirit work most powerfully. Uh, so we have, you know, uh, Luann Pinchador, who is just an amazing leader in our, in our church, who is really passionate about English as a second language. And so she started these English as a second language classes. Out of that grew Bible studies. And people have actually come to faith through this, through this ministry, lots of people. Uh, so um, there's different ways that you can be invested in that that are listed here on the sheet. So um, if, you, if you have at all uh, any interest in international ministry or teaching English as a second language, or really just frankly seeing the Holy Spirit profoundly at work, that's the place for you. So, uh, gosh, I have two minutes, and I want to talk very briefly about uh, the centrality of vocational holiness for us. So, uh, I don't want you to get the impression, and you may have gotten the impression because I spent so much time with the min- different ministries at Ascension, but I think that's important too, uh, that the main thing we care about is getting you busy on Sunday morning or during the week. But actually, um, we have this profound sense that equipping the saints for ministry in the world and sharing Christ's healing with a broken world is actually about equipping you to do the work that Christ has sent you to do six days of the week, right? Um, so um, there is no holiness that's kind of abstract holiness or that is independent from these other pieces of your life, of independent from parenting or independent from going to your job or independent from you know, your relationships that you're invested in in your life. All of those, uh, those different things that I've just named are part of an overall vocation, 
or a series of vocations in your life. Uh, and that's where God intends to meet you and develop you in, in, in holiness. Um, Tish has this profound uh, line in her book, uh, which if you haven't read, uh, you know, I'm just going to plug that. It's an incredible, you should read the book. amazing, yeah. phenomenal. I bought it and gave it away as birthday presents all last year. <laughs> the Liturgy of the Ordinary. Liturgy of the Ordinary. There you go. It won the Christianity Today, it won the Christianity Today <laughs> Book Award. You know, I, it's a good book. What can I say? Uh, here's what she says in that book. I think it's phenomenal. The Puritans, who talked more about work and vocation than almost any community before or since, articulated a helpful idea that Eugene Peterson later terms vocational holiness. The idea is that we are sanctified, made holy, not in the abstract, but through our concrete vocation. Christian holiness is not a free-floating goodness removed from the world a few feet above the ground. It is specific and in some sense tailored to who we particularly are. We grow in holiness and the honing of our specific vocation. We can't be holy in the abstract. Instead, we become a holy blacksmith or a holy mother or a holy physician or a holy systems analyst. We seek God in and through our particular vocation and place in life. Now, what does that mean? It means that your whole life, you need to see it as a kind of craft. It's not just that you're learning the skills that you need to do your job well. It's that you're learning the craft of honoring God and devoting yourself to God in the specific job that God has given you. And that itself is a kind of habit that needs to be formed over time through practice. Like there's a kind of practice of, of, of constantly devoting yourself to God throughout the course of your day in your particular vocation. Tisha's book is, I think, very helpful in guiding us through what that means what the, and kind of what that looks like in concrete ways. Um, so again, highly recommend it. But it's a big thing for us here at Ascension. And, and, and really what this means is rejecting the idea that any work is secular. Okay? There is no such thing as secular. Secular is an invention of the modern period, and we've, we've all kind of bought into it, that like the work that we do doesn't really matter. But actually, it matters tremendously. Okay? Like it matters tremendously to the kingdom, and it's actually the way in which the kingdom is built. If, it is done, uh, if the work that we do is devoted to God, uh, the theologian Leslie Newbegin, who was a missionary for many years in South India and came back and became a missionary to his, his native England, wrote this in a book called Signposts Amid the Rubble. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. He says, Our faith as Christians is that just as God raised up Jesus from the dead, so will he raise up us from the dead. And that just as all that Jesus had done in the days of his flesh seemed on Easter Saturday to be buried in final failure and oblivion, it was by God's power raised to new life and power again. So all the faithful labor of God's servants which time seems to bury in the dust of failure will be raised up, will be found there, transfigured in the new kingdom. Every faithful act of service, every honest labor to make the world a better place, which seemed to have been forever lost and forgotten in the rubble of history, will be seen on that day to have to contributed to the perfect fellowship of God's kingdom. You see, the new Jerusalem is made with the faithful acts that you have done in your vocations. And, and it's not world-changing things, right? The revolution will not be televised, okay? This is, these are small acts done with great love and great attention. And so we want to accompany you, come alongside of you at Ascension and help you think about what would it look like to take these microscopic steps in my work life, in my family life, in my relationships with other people? How can I begin to incarnate, give myself, as Jack Alul said, give myself to the extreme difficulty of incarnating the truth in these vocations? That's what we want to be about here. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where discipleship happens. So we want to do that. One way uh, that I want to suggest to you is um, we actually have a, a group here, uh, a community group at Ascension called Omnia Nova, and they've done a ton of work actually um, workshopping with people how to grow in vocational holiness. 
Um, so I talked to Brian Janizek about this, about this today, because um, I, I, he had mentioned it to me before, and I, I was just really interested to hear more about what it is that they actually do. So uh, each person in the group has an option of doing a workshop that helps them participate more deeply in this reality. They, ask, they, they, they think out loud about some aspect of their vocation that they'd like to see deeper vocational holiness in. And then the, the group actually workshops these questions. Where do you see the kingdom at work already in what you're doing? And how can you participate more deeply in that? How can you lean into that? Um, more heavily? Where do you see areas where your vocation is actually working against the coming of the kingdom? And what could we, what could we think about? How could we brainstorm ways that you might become more faithful to help uh, push against this, um, this, uh, this, the work of darkness, I guess, in your vocation? And then, uh, and then how, what do you personally feel like you need help with in your vocation? So these questions um, end up becoming the source of great, you know, great, great growth for this people who are involved in this group. So this is something that you could think about in your own community group context, maybe workshopping this, and, and the Janizex and the Stouts would be really happy to talk to you about um, how, you, how that could be done um, in your own group. But you could also connect with OmniNova and ask Brian if the group would be open to more members who are interested in this kind of thing. So if this is something that's interesting to you, please do let me know, and I'll connect you with Brian. And then lastly, the Janizex are thinking about, you know, opening a workshop like this for the whole church, actually. So we could actually experience this together um, as, a, as a congregation. So, you know, if you're interested in that, please do let me know. I'd like to be able to gauge interest to see, is this something that would, would be helpful in the life of our church? I mean, we did this whole sermon series and retreat around this idea of vocational holiness, right? Being foretaste of the kingdom with Amy Sherman. And it was beautiful and gorgeous. And this might be a great way for us to follow up on that. So if that's, of, if that's of interest to you, let me know. But this is one of the things that we see as, as utterly critical in the life of Ascension. We're not just about, you know, building the church here and the worship service and all these things that we are really important and we really want you to be invested in. We want you to go from here, to be equipped and to be sent from here to, to share Christ's healing with the broken world. So that's all I got for tonight. Um, I, I, I've got to actually pick up my kids. I'm running late. <laughs> so... Uh,